To sunglasses at night episode 14 which is 1995 oh it's a great year seems like only yesterday it does seem like yesterday um some would say it was 26 years ago but in many ways <laughs> it does feel like cruel, yesterday. they cruel would be people cruel. absolutely so look straight off the bat tom got to apologize we have been on hiatus for um a little bit of time um if you're if you're new to the podcast and have just listened to episode 13 and have gone straight into 14 you might not have noticed the break but <laughs> Um, the reality is that uh, we're in Melbourne, in Australia, and we've just come out of 264 days of lockdown. Yay! <laughs> so, unfortunately, during that period of time, Tom and I were unable to convene uh, yes. in houses to record the podcast, so we had to take a bit of a break. Um, we tried doing it... Um, well, we didn't try, but let's pretend. We so we, we, we tried doing it over the internet, <laughs> but um, the NBN hasn't been connected yes, yet. Yes, I blame Malcolm Turnbull for it. Exactly. But so no one needs to hear about lockdown anymore. No, we don't. Let's move on. Let's get rid of that. So, look, 1995, great year. Um, what? So before we get into to the ARIA charts, um, movie of the year. I had a quick look, Tom. Number sure. one grossing film of this year was Batman Forever. Uh, what? What? Did, what can, where were you the first time you saw Batman? <laughs> have you seen Batman Forever? We. I have not seen Batman Forever. No. No. Seen, I saw the sequel, which seemed like. Surely could not have been any, any better. Than, no, <laughs> like, no. I know people talk about it as like this horrible crime perpetuated against the Batman series, but you know, I would say to those people, look, I I have a personal appreciation for Batman uh, Returns. Yep. The Tim Burton's utterly, completely insane <laughs> sequel to the first one. And I would say to those, I like, I love, I do actually quite like that film. I watched it again the other day. It's fucking, it's great fun. It's insane, but it's yep. great fun. But I, w- I would say, A, I don't think that's, I don't think Batman Forever is any weirder than that film. No. And like, I can tell, I can see why they did it because he's like, you can't get any darker than that film really without just turning into a straight up horror movie, which it almost is. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, so I think they've clearly just gone, hey, let's just try and get back to the fucking the old cartoon show one. Let's make it colourful and crazy and Yeah. So Batman Forever uh had Jim Carrey in it. It did as the Riddler. Yep, absolutely. Um and then the next one after that, that was the one that had like Arnie, wasn't it? As Mr. That was the one that was real yes. dog shit. Yeah. With uh was George Clooney in that one? They're both Oh, hang on, are they? Yeah, they're uh, No, that was um that was Val Kilmer, wasn't Val it? Kilmer. Batman Forever is Val Kilmer. The second one is George Clooney. Yep. Whatever. What's There's that? too many of them. Batman I can't and Robin. That was cool. That was George Clooney. Uh-huh. They Absolutely. were both Joel Schumacher. They both featured bat nipples on the bat suits. Yep. And a very, very campy city of Gotham, yep. which was much more sort of Greek and 
silver and phallic than the kind of art deco hellscape nightmare of yep. the two Tim Burton ones. But look, we've come a long way, Tom, and we don't care or make Batman films no. anymore. We don't do that anymore. We've moved on from that. Oh, except I think there's one coming out probably later <laughs> this year or sure. next year. So they, they churn this shit out every three weeks. Um, look, I, I, I don't know. What's he going to do? Who's, who's tired of the Batman? Not me. I no, mean, no. I, I, they should be making them annually, I think. Probably t- two a year. I'd like to see two Batman films a year. What's well, he up to next? Show, yeah. What's he up to next? I just, uh, hope, I just hope and pray, for the love of God, that I finally get to find out what happened to Bruce Wayne's parents. Because, you know, his enigmatic... His enigmatic background, you know. It's a cliffhanger, Tom, that keeps us sort of hanging on yes. um, time I mean, and time again. Maybe one day they'll tell us oh, what, I can't wait. how he became the Batman, but yeah. Well, maybe maybe in the Batman, this new film that's coming out, or if not one of the uh, the other sequels, or they'll reboot again in five years probably. So <laughs> um, they reboot all this shit until the end of time. Oh, so it's good. So anyway, that was a film year. What, any news? Um, any good yeah. news coming well, out? Looking at the world... <laughs> In the world, well, there was, for instance, the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, Timothy McVeigh. I think we mentioned him before in the podcast. He's a a podcast favourite. It was also the year that the Om Shinrikyo religious cult gassed, uh, sarin gas attack in the Tokyo subways. Sarin gas attacks, that one, yep. That's Um, really good. Yeah. Uh, what could be Prime Minister and twat Jacques Chirac announced the resumption of nuclear testing in Polynesia ah. that's not good news <laughs> 10 years after France blew up a Greenpeace boat out of petulant French spite mm. um, yeah but fuck a lot of people died pointlessly in 95 Ben let's not get too nostalgic for the 90s Americans oh. were blowing each other up the Japanese were gassing each other half of Eastern Europe was stabbing their neighbours in their sleep American Airlines Flight 965 flew into a mountain, killing 160 people. Mm. There was a fire in the Azerbaijan subway that cooked 300 people alive, still the worst subway disaster of all time. A fucking department store collapsed in South Korea and crushed 500 people. Typhoon Angela killed 900 people in the Philippines. There was an earthquake on Sakhalin Island in Russia that killed 2,000 people that I never even heard about, following on from the one in Hyogo Prefecture of Japan that killed 6,000 people. And Windows 95 came out. You know, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a great year. Yeah. I remember the mid-90s fondly, but clearly I wasn't watching SBS World News as much no. back then because, honestly, half of those I'd never even heard of. You know? No, absolutely. I remember, I remember Oklahoma City bombing, yes. sarin gas, but apart from that, absolutely. But Windows 95, Tom, when I was living in Tokyo, they released a, a Windows 7 came out um, I can't remember when that was 2010 or something like that um, and to celebrate the release of Windows 7 um, Hungry Jack's released a uh, <laughs> Windows 7 burger which um, was seven patties <laughs> and seven pieces of cheese in there and that was the Windows 7 burger in probably one of the finest uh, tie-ins between two companies I've ever seen so mm. um, I'd hate to see that Windows 95 burger Tom <laughs> Hey, you get yes. it'd be ninety. Yeah, yeah. I hope Facebook's not listening to yep. me and collecting data right now. Yeah, that's why we don't do jokes on this show because that <laughs> Windows ninety five, ninety five burgers as well. It would be really big, so it sort of had to explain <laughs> that see, to you. Sorry. So I thought I, you were trying to get no, you know, no. But see, the, the window, algorithm the, no. to bring back the Windows seven. The Windows burger. seven burger had seven, so then I said I'd hate to see the Windows ninety five. <laughs> oh, I see. Ninety five. Oh, yeah, Patty's sorry, in there. I ruined hell. your genius. Yeah, that's, joke. that's all right. So for um, did you? We don't 
Did you jokes. try the Windows 7? I did, Tom. Um, <laughs> terrible. Because it's like a cheeseburger, but with like seven burgers okay. in there. So I think the bun was like blue. Or, you know how Japan does that bullshit? It's like, oh, it's the bun's blue. Mm. And it's like, cool. So you've just put some like blue food dye in a regular bun. So they, I'm pretty yeah. sure they invented the novelty tie in Japan. If not, oh, they've, they've certainly taken it to a new level. They really... Yeah, for sure. So look... The wind. I don't. I hope they still do that in Japan. Every time Windows bring out a new like wind, it's up to Windows Ten now. Office three six five, whatever the fuck they're doing. I hope they just bring out a burn. It's another patty in there, and it's sort of like that's perfect. So mm-hmm. good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, any cult? Did you have any culture notes, Tom, for this year, or do we just do? Um, you've got some. Yeah, all the news. Well, any, apart from uh, Batman. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> the cultural forever. apex. Uh, a mass, uh, around the world, a massively popular and beloved Mexican American singer, model, actress, and fashion designer called Selena Ooh. was tragically murdered at age 23 by the president of her own fan club. Oh, jeez. Which demonstrates once and for all that fan clubs are fucking creepy and really they're just a pipeline to help stalkers find out the alarm code for your garage door. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, think they yeah. need to stop. And you know. Do they still do fan clubs these days? Well, I think fan clubs really were the precursors to social media. E.g. Yep. a bunch of horribly creepy people hanging around and helping each other's delusional behaviour get yep. worse and worse and worse over time. Yeah, so for sure. fortunately they went away and nothing like that happens anymore. And much like social media, um, you know, like there's sort of the fan club president, probably they get all the letters, they probably read them mm. all, they do all the responses. So it's probably like social media. Like there's absolutely no way that Beyonce has ever gone anywhere fucking near oh, her no. Instagram account. No. She'd have, she'd have, you know, ten employees that do yeah. all that shit. It's the like record look at me just hanging out. Fan club a show bag once yeah. a year and distribute stickers among them. Oh, for sure, exactly. So I mean, when the you, best when thing about them was back then you had to send your rape and death threats by hand, you know. You did, so yeah. it would take three weeks each rape threat back and forth. Yeah, for sure. So it's, oh, absolutely. Um, and also, back in those days... You're right, you'd probably get a sticker or something. You'd have to send a dollar in or something. You'd like sort of yeah, send or in a, a badge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Iron um, on transfer. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm going to start doing something, Tom, <laughs> which uh, which um, what I've noticed is occasionally when I'm in the op shop with my kids and I'll find, a, I'll go, there's the CD section mm. and you'll rummage through there looking for, you know, I'll, I'm usually looking for the CD singles of the songs that we talk about just so that I have a physical copy of... Uh, you know, say the cranberry zombie or something as we mm. spoke about last week. But occasionally you'll open them up and there'll still be that fill this in and send it in to sort yeah. of get get onto the mailing list or get yep. something back or enter a competition. So I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start copy, yeah. I'm gonna start filling them in, even though it's sort of twenty five years later, <laughs> just see if I can still get onto that, you know, cranberries <laughs> mailing list and see if I get a response. So I think it'd be quite interesting. Um, enter competitions to mm. win, you know, a Pepsi Max sort of prize pack or something or tickets to the big because day out 2000 really, at this stage who else who's your competition no you one know, a bunch of people in retirement homes who are slowly yep. dying off yep you know I'd probably get a response saying this competition closed in January 2002 <laughs> so I don't know what you're doing but look I can give it a go I think so yeah uh, one last 1995 thing on a oh, personal yeah. note uh, the movie Hackers came mm. out yep. which very presciently showed us exactly what the future, cyberpunk future was going to look like <laughs> it did now, some would say that they were maybe seven years late already, but when you look at how much they got right, yep. I think it balances out. Um, yeah, oh, but I forgot to ask, do you like my new black mesh sleeveless vest? I yeah. do, I love it. I think it. it really sets off these forehead goggles and the seven kilogram wearable DOS computer I've duct taped to my thighs. 
absolutely. Yeah. But I think Tom, that, if you hear the loud clattering sound, that's me typing on my thighs as we speak. Yep, I'm Did hacking it. into the mainframe. <laughs> hacking into the mainframe via the the <laughs> AOL connection at the. Um, Payphone, the payphone downstairs. They did all their hacking via payphone. Mm, which it was, was um, very. That was definitely going to be the future. Yeah, of, of hacking was payphone access. If you're on a dial-up payphone internet connection. <laughs> what what exactly you're hacking into? It would take 15 minutes to sort of like do anything, wouldn't it? You'd press next on the screen and be like, you know, uh, you know, you'd take forever. But mm. one thing, Tom, and that, also the Z key would be broken. Oh. And then there'd be jizz all over it as well. A payphone would be complete. It'd be a disgrace. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't, you can't hack on those things. But the final scene of hackers there are hacking on a series of payphones in mm. the bottom of a train station, I think. And Angela and Jolie, it's a race against the clock. Will the cops get there first? Won't oh, they? It's very tense. Um, but interestingly, though, I think, um, and I don't know whether has anyone spoken about hackers in this way that it was ahead of its time. Do you, I don't know whether everyone agrees with this, but there's a character in, in Hackers that's the killer from Scream. If you've seen Scream, the Scream oh, film. Oh, yes, uh, Matthew the killer, Lillard. Yep, the killer from the original Scream. He's in Hackers, and I would suggest his character is maybe trans. Would you agree with that, Tom? Yeah. Or possibly a oh. portrayal of a, a, a very early portrayal of a trans character, or at least... Yeah, I would say he was trans-coded, except we didn't even say coded or None. trans back then, but yeah, he definitely seems to be... Sexual fluidity, I would suggest, yes. perhaps, or gender fluid. So, And I don't think that's ever been... T- you know, we're breaking this here on the, on the podcast, on, but I think that, um, yeah, that, that was something interesting that I've not that's seen true. spoken about in the hackers sort of world, but I believe that they had a character there that was certainly portrayed as being gender fluid <laughs> and we're the first people to realise that. So I think so. We're the was hackers ahead of its time <laughs> on that? Because it was clearly not ahead of its time <laughs> in terms of the hacking technology no, that it portrayed. No, I think you're right. I think the, the, I think it was, behind, it was ridiculously <laughs> misconceived in terms of the thing it was actually about. Yep. But some of the background details, like the fashion, yes. was realistically terrible yep. when you would look at what constituted like rave culture and edgy stuff like things like fucking rash vests like quicksilver <laughs> rash vests worn as out like motorbike jackets on people yep. like not, who don't ride ride motorbikes no. you know like people rollerblading around everywhere these things you know regrettably or otherwise did actually take place Angelina Jolie <laughs> in that film was wearing a rash vest for 75% she of the film she wears two different two different rash, rash vests <laughs> it's set in New York City they're nowhere near the fucking beach well I guess you could go to Long Island or some shit yeah. I don't really know but completely ridiculous and I think was anyone doing the rash vest and leather jacket did she double team that because that's sort of indecent obsession sort of style in terms of a wetsuit getting close to that yeah it's pretty good yeah Um, did Johnny Mnemonic come out in 1995 (laughs) as well no that's even earlier I think that's a shame Because that's another film that I think, um, to just to fill people in, during our podcast off time, Tom and I have been watching all of the most dog shit <laughs> cyberpunk and technology yes. focused films um, that it, were available. In grand Hollywood tradition, yep. you've got, the thing is actually cool for about two years, Yes. then there's sort of two more years when it sort of tails off being cool, then five years after that, yep. Hollywood figures out that it was a thing. Yep. So, like, William Gibson's Duromancer was like, I think that was like... 86 the book yep. came out so then it sort of stopped being cool again by about 1990 Billy Joel's Shock to the System came out sort of 91, <laughs> 92 people were already going ah, you're well, doing a cyberpunk album like now in 92 really yep. like we've got fucking vanilla ice now we don't need cyberpunk anymore exactly. and then 
like three years after that, Hollywood goes, oh shit, better put out Lawnmower Man. So, you know, yep. hackers, for instance. Let's yes. put out some virtual reality. But the thing with those virtual reality films is that uh, they're all they're, they're either 30, two years too late or 30 years too early because no one has still yes. been able to get virtual reality yes. up and running as a legit <laughs> thing that people are into. It's always coming. It's coming next year, Tom. You know, Mark Zuckerberg's got those fucking occultist goggles or whatever the fuck they are. So it's on the way. It's on the way. But, uh, yeah, so um, Johnny Mnemonic, the reason I brought that up is because um, that's set in 2021, Tom. Oh, okay. At so least they had now. the balls to it's actually set, set a date. Okay. It is. So, so it's set now. And uh, much like today, if you want to transport 80 gigabytes of data from one place to the other, you need to upload it into someone's brain and then have them physically walk to the destination and then you download it onto the person's computer. You don't just send it across the internet. No, 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 no. That would be too simple. You do a bit of brain uploading. So they got that right. And also um, Keanu getting onto the internet involves um, some sort of cyber glove where he puts these gloves on and starts manipulating the data as if it's sort of like Kind of like Minority Report, but just a real whack version of that. So all the things they owe this to this is a this is a William Gibson thing. Yes, yeah. so that's how he imagined that would be how the internet would look in eighty six. Yeah, would that it would be representational as opposed to just on literal. The, yeah, so just it touching would, the type. Yeah, yeah, he I think kind of imagining like a three dimensional map. Mm. that you would inhabit where the map doesn't like a subway station map where it doesn't literally represent the distances and stuff exactly. it's just you know so and things you know like an iconic kind of thing but then like it took people a long time to shake that idea even after as in the case of hackers the actual internet had actually come out and didn't look anything like that people oh, no. were still convinced that but we, at some point, we were all going to put on goggles and the internet was going to look like a bunch of glowing neon highways yep. that you could poke with your fingers wearing yep. special gloves. Hey, maybe it will. Maybe yeah, it, it will. Too. And maybe it'll be fucking awesome. Do you, you know? think... I'd have a go at it, sure. I guess, it, is it just also Hollywood trying to look for a, a good visual representation? Because if it was reality in 1995, yes. it would just someone be going www.geocities.com <laughs> backslash... Oh, oh, oh. And typing in some extremely long URL to go to a page that had like yeah. nothing on it, some text. So that and would... and also just like trying to make hacking look interesting to film. Oh, even yeah. like ten years later in like Swordfish, they're still trying to figure out a way to make hacking look interesting. You know, they don't bother. He doesn't put in goggles or whatever. But they're still doing this fake. There's just rotating cubes and dumb shit flying yeah. around. And you know. did you ever watch uh, Nathan for You, the TV show? <laughs> I'm familiar with it, but no, not much. Anyway, I won't talk about it. But there's a he makes a fake film like about a hacker, and he gets like a I think he gets like a Johnny Depp lookalike to sort of it's yeah it's ridiculously shit, but intentionally. So anyway, I think. It, but the problem is, it's like a piss take, but it's probably about the same quality as hackers in terms of like how it is. But anyway, should we talk about the music? Yes, yeah, sure. All right, cool, Tom. So, nineteen ninety-five. Um, the first one, two, the first uh, five, six weeks of this hangover from last week. Yes. The cranberries zombie. We talked about that last week. Um, well, it was actually about eight years ago for us in real life, but um, yep. in podcast world, in the last episode. Um, so yeah, we just learned about that, about how it's really a song about sort of the troubles, about yep. conflict, about people dying, about IRA attacks, about these sorts of things, and about sort of the cranberries trying to get that into a song. 
Um, people mostly remember the Cranbys version for the music, not about the, the actual sort of, I guess, message. But um, Adam featuring Amy, that cover where they set it in a car wash, Tom, you may remember that. <laughs> I don't, um, but yeah, I'll take Yeah, it. for sure. The cover... They're related to Captain Jack. Uh, they're very similar to... Yeah, they were a Eurobeat sort of band <laughs> from Italy. Um, they did the cover of that, added 180 BPM, set it in a car wash, and that really made me think about, mm. you know, domestic terrorism, Tom. So that was a great, great song, and I, I love that. Just quietly, I'm willing to bet it's more fun than the Cranberries one. Sorry. Oh, it's, it's a lot more fun, definitely, for sure. I think Amy, as I mentioned, she appears to be <laughs> masturbating in the car in the opening sequence. So it's, um, And then a dude jumps out of the boot. So I don't know, it's, it's completely bizarre. It's unhinged. But, um, yeah, it's about domestic terrorism, and it really made me think about what we should be doing to fight against that domestic terrorism. Um, so anyway, so that was for that. Yeah, so first, that first, first new song of the year, um, Real McCoy, Another Night. Holy shit. <laughs> fuck, I, I fuck with the Real McCoy hard, Tom. <laughs> you are a very big Eurodance fan. Oh, I, you I definitely am. take the lead then. Let me know. Oh, look, What's I... the Real McCoy story? The, well, the thing is, Tom, that um, I think... It's an interesting time for music, 1995, because I think we're officially, quote, post-grunge, end quote, I think. Well, we're certainly post the first wave, you know, yeah. the first band, the, yeah. the first Seattle Godsmack still yeah. to come. <laughs> so, yeah, Bush that, have yet to Bush, ruin yeah. everything, but, I think. But, but yeah. yeah, so I think we're, we're in that sort of, so I think the alt-rock vibe, so so let's, let's back step a second. Hair metal's definitely dead by Oh, yeah, stage. hair metal's gone. So the rock, um, we're sort of talking, the, the OG sort of grunge territory's gone. We're getting into a little bit of, yeah, post-grunge post or something like that. Alternative but, rock. But we're in a period now where I think we're going to see a little bit less guitar-based-ish yeah, music. Yeah, definitely. We're definitely on the downward t- trajectory <laughs> of the sort of, <laughs> of the, the guitar-based music and we're getting a lot of Eurobeats out of this mm. stage. Now, Eurobeats... On the main charts, certainly. Absolutely. Now, sort of, I'm talking sort of very late, like, very late 80s, early 90s, I think, when we got the Eurobeats sort of beginning... Um, and by this stage, it was just ubiquitous. It's wall-to-wall mm. Eurobeats. Oh, on the radio, for sure. For sure, yeah. yeah. Now, the Real McCoy, Tom, these guys, um, look, another night, um, another dream, I always <laughs> knew, another vision of love um, that seems to be true, true now. I remember it well. Yeah. Uh, these guys, so this was the number one song for six weeks, fantastic. They followed this song up um, with another great song, Automatic Lover. Now, fuck knows what that means. What what sort of automatic... What, like, the dude just goes, I'm an automatic lover. I was trying to remember the song. I don't, I don't know what automatic lover means, but holy shit, am I on board with that. Now, and then after that, they follow that up with probably one of the, the seminal 90s Eurodance tracks, Run Away. Run away, run away, run away if you want to survive. Don't know that. Oh, anyway, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing, Tom. They all sound exactly the fucking same. So you heard one, you've heard them all. Now, the video for this song is in black and white, so you know it's very good. Um, It's exceptionally arty. There's dudes working in a factory, which I assume represents the struggles of the proletariat, um, a struggle that can be overcome at 180 beats per minute. Sure, yep. uh, So these guys, I think, they're one of those groups, and this is um, sort of, look, it's... The Eurobeat uh, genre, it's sort of, it's not quite Milli Vanilli, but it is in the sense that there's always like two dudes that are like the producers that do the music. And then they'll probably get, in the music video, they'll probably get like a model 
to do yes. the fake, like in the music. We covered video. that a few times. Yeah, well, the, the person singing is often clearly not the person singing. The person singing in the video is often clearly not the person singing, and there'll be a random number of dancers who may or may not be in the band. Exactly, they right. might be loosely connected to the band. For sure. <laughs> so what you yeah, you've just got two dudes that write the music. They get a supermodel in to just go, just fucking lip sync to this. Yeah, that'll sell records, and it does. And then people go and see them live, and like. Wait a minute, that's not the person that I saw in that music video. And it's like, no, because they were never in the real McCoy to and begin with. Yeah, that's the only person that people remember to associate it with because the person who actually wrote the song was the one up the back on the keyboard with the embarrassing chin beard. Oh, like. well, this guy had a really bad goatee, um, one of the guys in the room McCoy, yeah. because they originally went, I don't know if you recall this, Tom, they went by the name MC Sar in the room McCoy. Okay, S A R. Yeah, S A R. Yep. So, um, so <laughs> they may be seen as the Real McCoy. They might also be seen as MC Sars and the Real McCoy. Um, but I think it turns out that uh, yeah, the MC Sar guy <laughs> that they got into the group, he was just lip syncing. So oh, they okay. got him out. They kicked Surprise him out. Surprise twist. So Surprise instead twist. of the lead singer lip syncing, it was the <laughs> they, they got the ring in. So the ring in that they just got out of the nowhere. Shit, the guy doing shitty rap that could be called rap if you're feeling more charitable than the Bill Gates Foundation. Exactly. He was actually lip syncing. Okay. Yeah, he was lip syncing. So they got rid of that guy. So that is a twist because usually mm, it's the model yeah, chick it's at the, the front. One so. up the front. So MC Sar, they got rid of him, and also I'm not quite sure, but MC Sar sounds a little bit too close to MC Sars. It does, which probably doesn't go down too well these days mm. and any young people out there that don't know what SARS is it was kind of like the poor man's COVID-19 oh. so only 774 people died so are you telling me that I should possibly rethink my open mic appearances MC COVID-19 that I had I think booked? it's I think it's a bad idea I think if you're too in a, soon yeah uh, I think if you're in a new metal band it's probably <laughs> a good time to come out and call your group uh, COVID-19 or something that's like a pity because my metal band's already called Delta Variant Delta Variant I thought that was a good Fuck, name it sounds hard absolutely for <laughs> sure I think that's really really good I think yeah Delta Variant um, Viral Load is, a, is the name of an actual <laughs> an actual uh, metal band I think so no, that, that was just a coincidence though they yeah. were already called that <laughs> exactly so in the music video to this <laughs> yeah. which is in black and white very yeah. arty a dude the the guy with the goatee one MC of the actual members yep, he just snaps a record he just like <laughs> breaks it he just comes and snaps it over Dramatic. his knee really dramatic um, and I wasn't quite sure but it's probably their previous single No Showbo um, which nobody gave a flying fuck about anywhere I checked it out on YouTube and had a look at the Wikipedia didn't chart anywhere which is pretty weird it gained no traction and usually like Romania or somewhere or at least like it would get to like 12 in like Romania but it didn't happen at all so um, this is like yeah I guess you could say this is sort of par for the course Quite typical Eurobeats. Um, yeah. So once they ditched MC Sars, they just let the dude that does the actual rap, you know, be in the music videos. Yep. He's got the goatee, as I mentioned. Um, and yeah, it's just the combo of weird dude doing the rap bit and yep. then hot chick who isn't in the group as a model yeah. doing like the vocals. Um, and that's about it. So the producers of this song also produced um, another Eurobeats classic, um, Get Away by Max with two X's. Okay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Max, but they're like an off-brand Labouche uh, <laughs> with a snow impersonator doing vocals. Wow. And I think uh, what a lot of people don't realise is that snow had a massive influence on third tier Eurobeats um, as shown by Max <laughs> yeah. and another group uh, 
by the name of Ice MC who have a track I called Ice, Ice MC. MC. <laughs> They're like a third tier Eurobeats. And, um, what was their hit? Well, they've got a track called Think About The Way. Um, Think About... And that's another one. The chick comes in and does that. But, uh, <laughs> but Ice MC at the start, he just gets on there and he starts rapping going... Boom, diggy, diggy, boom, boom, diggy, bang. And then just lists a bunch of different nationalities. So he was like, <laughs> Colombia, Nigerian, Sri Lankan, <laughs> Japanese. And that's just the song. Okay. Fucking garbage. But does it in like a fake snow sort of. Oh, okay. Like, but he is black, mm-hmm. but he's not. He's from like Paris or something. Yeah, so it's sort of like, are you, you really mean. a raster? Because it's sort of like, you got dreadlocks, but you're just from like the suburbs of Paris. I don't think it really counts. So, but you know, then again, maybe Snow pretending to be a raster was a little bit less legitimate than Ice MC. Sorry, Ice MC, if you are Jamaican, I apologize. <laughs> I've just shat on you. But I um, think Ice MC had another thing on the radio, but I can't remember what it was. Yeah, look, he's or, or he was on another track by someone else. He guest guested on another. Oh, I'm sure he did. He'll probably pop up again. Oh, look, I hope so. So anyway, that's my um my breakdown of this Eurobeat classic. Uh, so yeah, Tom, you got anything for me? Oh, lyrical spotlight. You know, as you'd predict with Eurodance, it's more sort of English's second language magic. Yep. As we've seen before, there are sometimes subtleties in the original language that can lose something in translation. Yep. Like, wow, just to pick an example, the second <laughs> verse here where Olaf OJ Juglitza sort of raps, I'm here to set you free, I'm your lover, your brother, hey sister, let me cover your body with my love, is my with my love and just another vision of love that seems to be true, all we do, all the things that only lovers do. Now, I may Fuck. be from Tasmania, but even there by 1995, getting love all over your sister was considered pretty bad form outside of oh. Zion and Georgetown, <laughs> at least. You know, I think it's, it's bold to rhyme, I'm your lover, with your brother. So, <laughs> yes. and then oh, and then, hey, get, sister. Hey, sister. Next, just to underline then, yeah. the fraternal relationship. And I'm going to cover your body with my love. <laughs> Look, probably time I rethought another night, uh, Tom. Hey, I'm just saying, maybe that translates better in the original Norwegian or whether the fuck. Probably. I assume they were probably out of Italy or something like that. But, um, uh, yeah, look, okay, that's that's a fair point. Look, MC, SARS and the real McCoy... um, yeah, look, I think that is a bona fide <laughs> mid-90s Eurobeats classic. Oh, did but you get, did you, uh, what did they do on MySpace? Did you get all that stuff? Not MySpace, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Look, um, oh, don't bother. If you, couldn't, if you didn't do it this time, it's okay. Oh, look, I didn't. but um, And the reason I didn't do it, Tom, is because it's been so long since we've done this, um, I actually forgot that I used to do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. But no, the Real McCoy, they have 887,000 listeners um, on the Spotify. They must have had some fans in their hometown of word I can't pronounce. Yeah, yeah, look, so look, just under a mil, so that's not too bad. Um, I think, but the thing is, Tom, that they actually do have uh, a few bangers, as I mentioned. um. This one, Another Night, and um, of course, Run Away, which uh, I think... Would have been playing in the nightclubs, for sure. Yeah, 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 definitely. It was on the radio all the fucking time. Absolutely. So, look, I think it's pretty good. Um, I am trying to really quickly Google the Real McCoy... Is that... Is is this... Who the fuck is this guy? Sorry. 
Um, <laughs> Is that MC- only, only <laughs> <laughs> that might be MC Sars and the Rue McCoy. So, look, another night, Tom, just having a quick look on Discogs, and it looks like that... Um, there's there's way too many versions of this, so um, <laughs> but right. yeah, look, uh, the vision of love that needs to be true. So that's what I'll say about that. Look, I'll find out in a minute. But um, that speaking was that. of weird shit from nightclubs, what's up next? Holy shit! Now, what in the living fuck is going on here? This is very, uh, it's out there, but impressive mm. and weird at the same time. Hocus pocus. Here's Johnny. Yeah. Now. Number, number one in one Australia. Hits. Number one in Australia. Six weeks too. Not a not a one hit wonder. Not no. a you know one week wonder. No, six weeks of that. Now number one in Australia. Number two in Spain, and the rest of the world didn't give a flying fuck about this. <laughs> now it's hard to know how this became a number one for six weeks in Australia. And I don't mean that in terms of the quality of the song, but I mean that in terms of the fact that this is not like anything else. No. So. We've just spoken about the Rue McCoy another night, which is sort of, I guess, it, it's hardly, you know, with the other Eurodance hits like that one, it's not really like Detroit techno, is it? No, it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's mainstream nightclub yeah. dance that was prevalent at the time. Yeah, know, this like, isn't, this wasn't born from a, a warehouse, an abandoned warehouse rave in like Detroit or no, New York or something no. like that. The pop, the, the, the Eurodance hits are sort of very much like we're taking pop song structures of three minutes. Yep. We've got the sort of the beats happening. And we found a new button on the keyboard which sounds it. exactly the same as all of the other ones Exactly, does half the song for you. We've got the verse which is just a dog shit rap. Mm-hmm. We've got a chick doing the chorus Who and then... We haven't paid yet and, and I've got my sister's hot friend to come and dance around and mime the words. Exactly. So that's sort of what you got there but um, it's sort of, I guess you, you sort of water it down. You get the female vocal hook some dog shit rapping, um, and then, you know, that's the song. But yep. I was speaking to our, rat, our resident Gabba expert, Tom, <laughs> um, which is your brother, uh, <laughs> Ross, and he advised me that this is pretty much, you know, par for the course for uh, for Gabba. This is Johnny, yes. His by, Johnny, by comparison to Eurodance. They definitely didn't take the... the like, this no. is like a hardcore it's an techno... authentic, weird, underground sub-genre yep. of, like, real... European techno from was it Rotterdam Rotterdam the, the Netherlands, Netherlands yep. and Gabba is a I think it's, is it G-A-B-B-A yeah that was the name of this genre which is a very tough sort of almost industrial kind yep. of high speed banging hardcore techno stuff. absolutely so it's sort of I think probably the key elements of it from what I can understand is that usually between 140 and 190 BPMs mm. so once you get to 190 you're getting up there in yeah terms if you play that to Gen Z they wouldn't yep. know what to do with it now that's very distorted kick drum it always has that very distorted oh, kick drum oh I thought that was accidental okay. no so that's deliberate um, and a lot of movie samples that oh, seems to be okay. that so it's very percussive too it's like two thirds percussion like yeah, bang absolutely. bang 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 for sure so this song is that effectively the movie sample being of course from The Shining um, when you know, here's, you know, here's Johnny that a uh, lot of distorted kick drum yep. and then also at the start a really annoying whirring sound <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny <laughs> <laughs> and it just does that uh, but and the bizarre thing is that it's sort of like so this is something that sounds like it's very much born from I, I imagine that you could go to like a Gabba rave in an abandoned warehouse somewhere mm. and this song would probably be played with a bunch of other songs that sounded very similar, yet somehow it broke out of that 
and hit number one on Australian charts for six weeks. Yeah. That's what's unusual. Yeah. In a time when a lot of people still didn't know much about techno music at all, really. And oh, yeah, exactly. In, in, in a, on the other side of the world, in a country, as you said, like one of the only two countries that gave a fuck about it outside of the place where it, mm. where it came from, where it wasn't on the wasn't number one anyway. Like yeah. it, it didn't chart there. Exactly. It's very strange. Exactly hey? right. So, um, look, we put the playlist every week for this on YouTube. So go listen to The Real McCoy Another Night and then listen to Here's Johnny back to yes. back and you realise they are <laughs> very, very, very different things. Um, but look, according to the Wikipedia page on Gabba, um, tracksuits were very popular and drug use was top, common top. Oh, Can you wow. believe that? Who, <laughs> apparently yeah. it was. Who would have thought that to make this palatable, you have to be fucked up on yeah, drugs? Yeah, have to be on drugs. And yeah. te- I tell you what, if you're trying to dance to something at anything over 150 BPMs, yep. you want to be wearing at minimum a fucking sweatband and sneakers because <laughs> no doubt, Air Maxes I think were very popular mm. apparently in the Gabba scene. So I, I'm I'm old enough to remember going to drum and bass raves, and that was like that. There's essentially no point getting. Like, even the, the girls there, if you're going to take ecstasy and dance, there's no point wearing a cocktail skirt and heels yep. because you're going to be fucked in 10 seconds. You just Absolutely. So everybody looks like they're on their way to an aerobics class, basically, yep. wearing loose-fitting shit, sweatbands and sneakers because you're basically running on the spot for hours at a time, fucked off your head. Yep. So, yeah. So and this is more intense than that. It is, So yeah. I can Look, only imagine what the would have been like for sure it. look I, I know you can't really play songs on podcasts because of you know you've got to get into the sort of the issue of rights you know and like sort of having the sure. royalties and that so a lot of even though this is a music based podcast we don't do any music but um I guess if I had to sort of do this song just with, with my mouth it'd be like <laughs> and then bam 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 and that's kind of this whole yep. song so that's sort the of speed that, it goes but with a real just sort of sort of yeah um, but look, I think it's I I enjoy this because it's completely nothing else. Like I remember seeing this video clip as a kid on Rage, and I was like, "What in the living fuck is this?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> can you tell me anything about the, the video uh, clip? Yeah, it was friggin'. I mean, it was again sort of early computer graphics, yeah. just sort of flying skeletons and flying trumpets, which I'm not even sure if trumpets are in the yeah. film. Just kind of flying in and out of the screen. I mean, Jurassic Park came out in 93, and this looks like steaming hot turds by comparison. <laughs> but I'm guessing that a Rotterdam Gabba club DJ didn't have uh, the money to throw at industrial light and magic no. for a video, so they had to make do with something that looks like the animated backdrop from a goth's MySpace page. But, you know, it sort of, go- it sort of goes with the kind of weird you know, sort of out of place feeling of listening to the song at the time, you know. There was, as we've covered previously, at this point in time, in the mid-90s, there were so many genres all imploding and falling in on top of each other and, you know, know, scrambling for the the pop charts. Absolutely. Just random shit would fling off and you'd get weird hits in the middle of nowhere and this is definitely one of those. And the video just looks like that as well. You're just like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> Who is this for? Is this supposed to be like this? Is this meant to make sense? I don't know if it is, but yeah. Yeah, look, I think if you think about sort of what type of music are people listening to, you know, not right now because of lockdown, but, um, you know, warehouse, like warehouse rows still exist, obviously, yeah. in some extent, yeah. you know. And if people are listening to super underground stuff, today or something that's unusual is it like really i don't know 
exactly like just is it just noise is it just sort of really industrial sort of noise type stuff I think what it is weird now I think it's more genre bending stuff now you know like every time I listen to something that I genuinely haven't heard before now it's usually genre mashing type of things I'm, look, I'm sure there's shit that I'm too old to know about. For sure. It's like 100 Gex or something doing like Vaporwave <laughs> into like some bullshit. But I think at this point, this sort of 95 to about 2000 with this Gabba and Happy Hardcore and yep. Hardbag and these other genres, they kind of peaked the and drum and bass as well. They sort of it got to the apex of how fast you can realistically play music at and people will be able to dance to it or want to dance to it. Yeah. And then it kind of went back down. And by the time it got down to, you know, even something like the people think I was being fairly intense, like dubstep, is way slow. It has breakdowns, but it's much, much slower than what we used to listen to. Yeah. And maybe in the future it'll crank up again. Maybe there'll be another movement and it'll go back up yeah. in that sort of thing. But I'm pretty sure it's not as fast as yeah. it used to be. I, I think more might... I guess my question is, Tom, can you imagine something coming from the deep underground yeah. warehouse scene that is completely like and harsh noise or something? And number one on yeah, the fucking mainstream number, pop charts. Exactly. Like, I can't, it's hard to imagine. I just can't it? see a time again where I'm going to turn on Rage and the number one song is just something yeah. that's come legitimately and out of a, a, a basement or an abandoned warehouse. Yeah, it's, like, it's so unpolished. This? It's not like voguing where like Madonna goes to a nightclub in Spain and some hip drag queens take her to this thing that no one else knows about and then she goes fuck this is cool I'm going to use this for my next video and then she kind of does a sort of palatable mainstream version of it this is the actual thing this would be like listening to the actual drag queens whatever or watching their actual routine you know, in as performed in the nightclub sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I hope it happens again. I hope yeah. I hope it you know, Just I hope something, something like this bizarre happens. pops yeah. up. So it's pretty good. <laughs> Look, um so your brother also he turned me on to I think there's like a, a Thunderdome Gabba um, series of CDs oh, that okay. come out like a sort of in that in this period of oh, time. Oh, like collecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. So, oh, yeah. yeah. And apparently, um, it was weird. I was reading a, an article the other day on ABC. I think it was, and it was just like, "Are your CDs worth something?" Because <laughs> yep. you know, obviously, vinyl was like the, the vinyl renaissance is, is yeah. come. So now it's like, what about the CD renaissance? CDs are a lot more disposable. <laughs> and one, yeah. one of them in there was. The Gabba Thunderdome Down Under collection. It's like if you've got this in your sh- bookshelf, which no one does, it's worth like three thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so they probably pressed about six. They did. Them. I think they didn't press very many. So if you if you've got that at home, check it down. Wow. But yeah. So anyway, there yeah. was. I know there was. Ross will get annoyed at me for not remembering who it was, but there was one Australian group who used to wear balaclavas on stage, and they it was like, like two Newcastle? or three guys. Yeah, and they. Nelson Bluton. They right. did Gabba. Yeah. It could be. It could be. And they interviewed them on this show once. Uh, like, it used to be on SBS. It was like, world, it was like the World Music Alternative Show. Yeah. And they talked to them because they were popular in the Netherlands. Yeah. Just for this one specific type of music. And they talked to them. And I remember he said, and they were like showing them their recording studio. And it was just like. It was like Amigas, and he said, <laughs> yes. and the guy was just—it was this really dry sort of Newcastle guy. He's just going like, "Yeah, we do most of our stuff on the Amiga, you know." And he was like, "Oh, just, is that is that a good is that a good you know music recording machine?" He's like, "Not really." 
It's basically, we pretty much do this style of music because we're limited to it by the capabilities of the Amiga. Which is so sick. And if anyone doesn't know what an Amiga is, it's like a home computer from 1995 yes. that everyone had. That, that was like, didn't come with a hard drive built into it. it no, definitely. This, the, 500, uh, 500K. The, it was Amiga 500. The, the disc, yes. you put it into the actual keyboard. Yep. So that was that. But interestingly, Tom, you mentioned that. Um, yeah, I, I did hear about, I think Ross told me about them, Nass and Bluden, with that. And then I checked out the Wikipedia page and it did mention that some other dudes on there were just like, yeah, we were way influenced by Amiga 500 core, which is like a, which is like a sub-genre of like Gabra, I think, where it's just dudes that are just like going, yeah, bro, we just, we love that shit. So I'm going to get an Amiga 500 off eBay for oh, probably God. ten bucks. Find out, find There's what no, software they're using. Yeah, just blast what this sort out. of proto reason it would have been you, back in those fucking days? How were you getting the movie samples as well? Were you, like, were you recording oh, them yeah. off your, just off the TV? Would we like MIDI? It would have all been fucking MIDI, but God knows how they would. Have I been don't know. Samples. I think that's yeah. sick though. The fact they're using some oh, of the yeah. shittiest equipment going. So I will, I do love that about the internet. Like somewhere out there, there's a group of um, Amiga Core. Guys yeah, dude, sending absolutely. each other their Gabba tracks from across the world oh, using absolutely. a 35 year old piece of technology. I remember finding a record <laughs> label once that only released shit on floppy disk, and this was like in this is like in 2010, and it's just like we only all of our releases on floppy disk, and it's like. You can only fit like a megabyte on there. Like, what is it? So it's just sort of like, it's either the shittiest sound quality possible or it's just like 10 second grindcore songs and it's just like, that's all we can fit on there. So yeah, which is pretty good. But um, anyway, back to, so Hocus Pocus. So these guys um, were also Dupe. If I you can remember that. that. Yeah. So that was a song that was influenced by the Charleston Basically, so it's just basically by the 1920s like techno Charleston, Charleston yeah. and then yeah, basically with like breakbeats, I think, under it. Um, and just the only lyrics was dupe by comparison, that would made a lot more sense, yes. Like you watch the video clip, and it's like sort of old timey day glow, Charleston, yep. like with that sort of 1920s flappers, and yeah, and this just sort of catchy, you know, yep. it's just a kind of but yeah. It was also, compare that to this, it's for sure. <laughs> it's like this is like a nightmare. Yeah, so they released that, and um, that Dupe actually released number one in the UK, and obviously they didn't want to take a chance diminishing the goodwill Dupe had built, so they released this single under the uh, the name Hocus Pocus. Oh, okay. So, so what were they actually called? So Dupe released the song Dupe, oh, but the okay. same two dudes. Oh, okay. Then released Hocus so Pocus under his Johnny. As well. They did, yeah, they didn't want to diminish. They didn't. They didn't want to say, "Let's use the dupe name for here's Johnny." We don't want to diminish the goodwill built from that. So let's release it under Hocus Pocus. Um, and I was hoping that um, they their name was also featured. This song should have been in the Bette Midler film Hocus Pocus, shouldn't it? Really, obviously, I mean, but it obviously yeah. wasn't. So that was disappointing. So yeah, um, but yeah, the single was apparently released in 1994 in Australia when I had a look on Discogs. So. Uh, here's Johnny yeah yeah, and the, yeah. Oh, okay. so it took it took like a year or something to get number one well I maybe think, so. it was played in clubs and then it well, somehow got on the radio because like, yeah. I'm actually thinking how did it get sort of here um, I, re- I mean Triple J used to play this I remember that but okay. they would like the youth station like it's very hard to imagine classic rock and radio yeah exactly like wow for sure so Hocus Pocus um, they're actually not on Spotify. <laughs> so the song "Here's Johnny" is on Spotify, but it's in some sort of like playlist. I'm not quite sure how they 
got it on there. But anyway, so look, um, I'm having a quick look. Have I? I found them. Got it. Thirty-six thousand monthly listeners. <laughs> Not bad. No, no. Off the back of this. Sounds so. like a lot to me. But Not then much compared to Bruce Springsteen. No, no. 36,000. But then you also got to realise that if people want to go and listen to Dupe, then that's a completely different artist. So, you know, like... Oh, yeah. So these dudes gotcha. have sort of... They've, they've, you go onto their uh, Discogs page and they're in like a thousand different things. So, um, yeah. So good on them. Here's Johnny. Hocus Pocus. Good stuff. Sure. Uh, lyrically, uh, yeah, it's got yeah, two words, so that's it. We've covered <laughs> Credit bam, to bam, Jack bam. Nicholson for doing such a good delivery on that line with two words that people still say it. Now, <laughs> he does a good job of poking his face through a hole in the door. I think that was one of those ones where fucking Kubrick made them do it, you know, 78 times. Yep. That same thing. Yep. So you can only imagine how many, what some of the other ones <laughs> must have been like. Absolutely. Or you... was that how crazy it, ta- it takes? You need seventy-eight takes to get to look that crazy. Kubrick <laughs> to, was a professionalist. Like that mad. So. No, Absolutely. I mean to get to get to an actor to look that, that fucking insane. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, did you watch that documentary Room Two? No. Whatever. You know what I'm, I'm talking about. A, I'm not a huge fan of fan theories, even yep. when they're interesting. But yeah. Mm. Hey, maybe it's better than I'm imagining it would be. Look, I quite enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is just a lot of fan theories about that film obviously um yeah yeah, it was it was was cool like i sort of liked the fact that people were just like it's someone that's watched the shining a thousand times (laughs) just basically like what if this means this or what if that means that so but um yeah no mention of hocus pocus here's johnny (laughs) in the documentary which i found to be very disappointing so i mean credit to him that he put that much depth into his films that it can be taken apart like an academic thesis all those years later. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, definitely. When, when somebody puts that much thought into detail of things, then it seems to justify in people's minds, well, then that must mean that everything in it yep. means something, you know, like all the details. If, if, if he put that much effort into this detail, then this detail must be as meaningful for you know, sure, yeah. But yeah, I mean, even let's face it, even geniuses have a day where they go, "Oh fuck it, that'll do." It's <laughs> <Good> okay. <laughs> let's just put, you know, some, you know, we need dishwashing <laughs> liquid in the background. It's just Omo, and then, but people are just yes. that's just what we had at the suit, you know, where people are just going, "He would have chosen that for a reason. Mm. Why? Why? Why?" But um, the probably one of the more interesting fan theories from the film, Tom, was that um, the moon landing. Wasn't hoaxed. People did go to the moon. Yeah. But um, the footage that they filmed, that they've shown, <laughs> the world as everyone has seen of the moon landing, um, Kubrick filmed that in the studio. I had heard so that, that it was him is, doing it, but I didn't know like why. Why in this theory did they use Kubrick? So they go to the moon. They can't film anything on there because they realise they can't, or the camera's fucked or whatever, so they didn't get anything. So they're like, Kubrick, can you whip something up that looks like it's on the moon? And then in The Shining, he drops all these clues that it's actually that oh, he did it. I see, so, I see, because he's got such a big ego that he... So he, he had to, he dropped some yeah, clues in the I, film I about... See. So people, if you watch The Shining, all the clues in there are in there that, that, that Kubrick actually filmed the moon landing. So, um, yeah, is it true? Probably bullshit. <laughs> Sounds pretty fake, but look... Kubrick's dead now, we can't ask him, can we? So No. Yeah, anyway, alas. So that was, so six weeks of his Johnny, pretty crazy. Um, up next, 6th of May for two weeks. Take that, back for good. Mm, back in the charts, at least. We've had to take that number one previously. 
Yep, so look, these guys put together as the British answer to New Kids on the Block, um, who I think at this time, Tom, in, in uh, 1995, I think New Kids on the Block um, were gangster rap and going by NKOTB. <laughs> I think they'd reposition yes, themselves as sort of like a bad, boys. bad boys, exactly. And people were like, wait a minute. Are you the guys that did Hangin' Tough? I don't really think you are bad boys, but still. Um, the original name for Take That was Kick It. Is that a better bad name or a worse bad name? I think it's a worse bad name. Hey, Tom. Be- <laughs> yes? I hear you're in a band. What are they called? Kick It. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tom, I hear you in the band. What are they called? Take That. Yeah, it's better. You're right. It is better. <laughs> Just- I think... I mean, they're equally silly, but I think... <laughs> Take that with an exclamation point. I would have really. I would have been like, "Fuck yeah!" So. Both, they're both slightly more aggressive than the band actually yeah, deserves. I think really. so. Yeah, kick, kick, <laughs> kick. It sounds like like bad boys. Like, yeah, kick. It sounds more like sounds like a better name for a rebranded New Kids on the Block than an anagram of the word knob. Yeah, which is what they <laughs> decided to go with. The rare acronym that is unpronounceable and. <laughs> Is harder to say than the actual non-shortened name. Mm. <laughs> like Absolutely. World Wide Web. For sure. Yes. And, you know, if New Kids on the Block, if you shorten it to NKOTB and put on a leather jacket, I mean, I don't know, are people buying it? Are they just like, mm. oh, these guys are bad boys? Not sure. I mean, speaking of bad boys as well, I understand that these guys were, East 17 were the bad boys yep. to, compared to them. I I think East, East 17. 17 came first. They were, yeah. I think East 17 even rebranded to E17 at some stage. I think stage, they did. Uh, but is, E17, as much as far as I know, were not... They didn't write their own no, songs, did no. they? They were a constructed... Yeah, band. look, I'm not... They might have written some. I'm not... Like, where they had that one guy. But look, credit where credit's due for Take That. Um, I mean, unlike the other boy bands, as you mentioned, Tom, Gary Barlow, who's a member of uh, the group, he penned... I think maybe not all of them, but the vast majority of their hits, um, obviously including this one, Back for Good, which was uh, number one for two weeks. Now, all the songs are total and utter fucking dog shit, but still credit where credit's due for the fact that this dude wrote them. True, they wrote hits. I'd I'd put them above um, Stock Ake and Water. Oh, they're fucking garbage, of course, absolutely. So look, so they first sung this song at the 1995 Brit Awards and it created such a stir... That its release date had to be brought forward. People just wow. went, I need that. I need that song in my life. I've heard it on the Brit Awards. I need a copy of that. It sold 350,000 copies in its first week, um, which was the most in 10 years for a single to sell. And it sold about a million copies overall in the UK, which is crazy. And number one in so many countries. I don't want to list them all because no. I, I can't be bothered. But it was also their only US top 40 hit. Okay. Um, so look... It's one of those things where it's like, big in the UK, didn't quite translate to the US. They were just like, we don't need any of this bullshit. But apparently Gary Barlow, the reason this was such a big hit was that when he was writing the song, he said, I want to write something that I'm aiming at the mums and dads and the kids. (laughs) Sure. Why not? How do you do that, Tom? How do you take a song Mm. that is equally appealing to the mums and dads and the kids? Well, you write something as dog shit as this, obviously, because <laughs> it is fucking terrible. But um, I, I don't mean, know. the term lowest common denominator gets thrown <laughs> around a lot. But as we sometimes say, if it was that easy to do, then way more people would fucking do That's it. That's correct. So yeah. you know, credit for figuring it. So out. this was their only number one in Australia. They had twelve in the UK. Twelve number ones there. Yeah. So that's a lot. Um, so look, you know, Robbie Williams. Um, he obviously left the group. 
after this song. I'm not quite sure when he left, but it was probably around this time or a bit later. Um, and he became enormous. Obviously, Robbie Williams is, is the dude that most people know. Um, what's your favourite Robbie Williams song? Do you have a favourite one? Because um, I'm a big fan of... Uh, <laughs> oh, no. You no, no, go with your one. I was going to say... Um, I, I'm i a big fan of uh, the Robbie Williams and Kylie Minogue song where they both happen to rap in the song <laughs> Kids, uh, where I believe that Kylie says that she's been dropping beats since Back in Black and Robbie Williams ends the song with uh, Ain't no chance of the record company dropping me. Press be asking, do I care for sodomy? I don't know, yeah, probably. <laughs> I've been locking for serial monogamy. Not some bird that looks like Billy Connolly. <laughs> That's good. Which is that cheeky sense of humour that people were apparently into at the time. People love that cheeky Ralph sense Ralph Magazine, of Loaded Magazine, and, you know. And Kylie would have done a bit of a... Oasis. <laughs> I don't look like Billy Connolly, so it's okay. We can, you know, bone after this song. Sure. So, um, Yeah, look, so that's good. That's a good one, Tom. Because my favourite um, is probably Rudebox, which oh, is the sure. lead single off his seventh album, Rudebox, um, which features the lyrics, Rudebox, shake your Rudebox, why are you so nasty? <laughs> now, I don't know what he means by Rudebox, but um, it features Robbie Williams rapping throughout the whole thing, and it is worse than you can imagine. It's probably <laughs> as bad as that Kylie song. Rudebox, is it just a song about vaginas? I don't know. Um, what is your, ru- your Rudebox? I'm pretty has sure. has to be a cunt, doesn't it? I assume it is. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, but if look, with someone else, I might think it was a weird metaphor, but it's Robbie Williams. Look, these lyrics are some of the fucking worst lyrics, the rap <laughs> part that I've ever heard in my entire life. And you know, no hyperbole, Tom. This is this is really really bad. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm just gonna read some out. I could read the whole song. It's fucking atrocious, but um, it's basically just like, um, okay, then back to bass heads. Dance like you've just won at the Special Olympics. <laughs> now, Jeez. is that? Okay. Does that even rhyme? <laughs> it, does, it doesn't rhyme. It doesn't rhyme at all. But what does that mean? Dance like you've just won at the Special Olympics. Um, they got the rude box at the back of a spaceship. So sick I just had to take it. Um, R-U-D-E-B-O-X. Up your jacksie. Split your kecks. A song full of Semtax. Pocket full of Durex. Body full of Mandrax. Are we going to have sex? Yes. <laughs> Do you wear your knee socks? Yes. What the fuck Look. does any of that mean? <laughs> it's absolutely dog shit. And then he goes this on is to. What happens when white British people try to rap? Yeah, and then we've got, weird. and we know the era here. It's like take both pills, fuck the Matrix, jack those jewels, shake your Playtex, rock three stripes, not the Asics. So, product, product, I don't know. Look, <laughs> fucking I mean, hell, it's, you know, I've heard worse rap, but you can say that about any rap song, really, can't you? Yeah, look, it, it's it's worse than you can imagine, Tom. But look, I think <laughs> apart from it just being really bad lyrics, um, what happened was that Robbie Williams he recorded this album. I think he'd just signed to EMI. I think he'd either maybe he'd either Ooh, he might yes. have just just signed signed a new deal with EMI. So I think he'd uh, come with from Rebo- he at one point he had the record for highest signing of all time. I think he got a like a ten album deal for fifty million it pounds it or been something this, like yeah. that. That was at the height of his British success when he did have. I mean, he did have even over here around Europe and Australia and stuff. He had a legitimate shit ton of massive hits. I can sort of see the logic. But, you know, it was still working off a model of 
with you know publishing. Absolutely. So out at the time. So he'd he'd signed this deal. They said, look, okay, here's fifty million dollars. So um, he obviously recorded Rude Box, um, the lead single, Total Dog Shit. We've just talked about some of the worst lyrics imaginable. But what happened, Tom, was that. Over a million copies of unsold Rubox CDs um, were sent to China, crushed by EMI, <laughs> and the recycled product was then used to surface roads. <laughs> so somewhere in China, um, and I, I think I know where it was, somewhere in China there's, there's an entire road, a highway so to speak, that has, has been made out of crushed <laughs> Robbie Williams Rubox CDs. Now, as far as I know, that was in... Um, Xinjiang province, um, and I think the road in question, effectively, it, it, it was a road that went to um, a Muslim re-education camp for the Uyghurs, as, as far as I know, oh, just from the geez. research I've done on the internet. So, you know, what we have here is effectively people that, you know, you have a Muslim minority in China, you know, they're persecuted, people don't agree with their beliefs on a whole, you know, mm-hmm. the Chinese population, the government says, we don't like your you know, your yep. belief system. So they're sent to re-education camps, um, you know, their culture stripped away from them. They're forced into slave labour sort of situations, from what I understand, picking cotton, you know, their language, their clothing, songs, traditions, everything is stripped away from them. Um, some of them are beaten. People have, have been raped. People have died. And I sort of feel like, Tom, that maybe if... Robbie Williams had just written a better album <laughs> and those CDs weren't sent to China and they weren't crushed and that road wasn't built those people would still be alive today <laughs> I think, you know, I'm not saying that Robbie Williams is a murderer but he's definitely an architect of repression <laughs> and he has blood on his hands mm. yeah, it's human rights violations human rights violation. If, he, the... if he'd just written better songs you know, not written such a <laughs> shitty rap collaborated with better people spent more time on that album, those Uyghurs would still be alive today. That's what I'm saying. Mm. And, I, and I don't want to say, you know, I, I think that when those people tell their grandkids about the sort of what it was like in these camps, you know, they tried to destroy our culture, they tried to destroy, you know, our lives, our beliefs, everything like that. You know, friends I knew died. People were very suspicious of one another. You know, it was a really terrible time. And, you know, it's not something that I want to live Again, but I had to do that because you know I think that it's good to keep your beliefs. But you know, at the same time, the road that they sent us there was made out of crushed Robbie Williams Rubox CDs. Mm. So in many ways, it was probably worth it. Do you reckon? I don't know whether that's sort of. A, I don't know. I, I don't suppose know. it depends on. Their, well, there's there's two ways to love it. Of the, his uh, album Rubox. Yeah, oh, exactly. Shake your Rubox. Why are you so nasty? But yeah, I, I don't know. So look, overall, terrible song. Um, human rights violation and. Mm. Thousands of people have died as a result of how bad it was. By contrast, mm. uh, take that <laughs> back for good um, is less, you know, to do with human rights violations, yep. uh, more just a sort of cheesy ballad. Uh, and yeah, I think we've covered it fairly well. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, lyrically, hey, remember when I was giving shit to Kylie and Robbie's lyrics? Uh, they seem like good days back then. Um, Look, there's only one thing I ever heard anyone discuss lyrically at the time. And uh, let me ask a question. Whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. I just want you back for good. Now, do you reckon that makes the singer seem like he's A, a pussy-whipped beta male cuck type, yep. or 
B, does it make him sound like a passive-aggressive dildo who's using an apology to wallpaper over his total lack of interest in fixing any real problems with his behaviour? Yep. Or possibly both. I guess you can have oh, probably, Yeah, I think it's probably both. I don't know. Whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. I just want you back for good. Well, it's, it's, it is passive-aggressive, and it's also, it's like, oh, whatever I said... He's not even acknowledging yeah. the error that he's made. It's just <laughs> saying... You've said that I've done so- whatever. I, whatever mm. I've said, you know, whatever. I didn't mean that. I just want you back for good. And this guy, okay, I'd kick that cunt to the curb. So, <laughs> yeah, especially if it was Robbie Williams. Too little, too late. Frankly, I'd say. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You, yeah, that's it. If it's if it's Robbie that's saying that, and you stick with him, <laughs> then you basically just ended up staying with someone who results in you know sort of what mass deaths so I don't really know whether that's a good thing get rid of him Kicking, keep him get rid of that guy mm. get rid of uh, yeah look it's not for me to say but do you reckon that's a real about a real person or do you think it's sort of more of a do you reckon these songs are written about real people yeah. like in sort of given the fact that he said he was trying to write it about write a song for parents and kids and yep. stuff like that I'm suspecting that probably he's just trying to you know think of a song yeah that's it it's this is the audio equivalent of a mid-90s richard curtis movie it's it's like watching four weddings and a funeral you know while it rains outside on a vhs and you've already seen it 20 times absolutely it's just yeah there's it's so boring that i can struggle to find anything interesting to say about it yeah look this song sucks um it's pretty bad look i actually worse i'm just saying it's bland oh it sucks yeah i like rude box more than this and i've just (laughs) talked about how much i hate that so you know um yeah at least it was interesting enough to get turned into it Genocide oh, for sure, he drops yeah, <laughs> genocide highway exactly. So um, that's the name of his next album, I think it was. So because he just realised that um, you know, just in case this goes really badly and this gets mm. crushed into a sort of road, as then, John yeah. Cochran once said, genocide is a highway. It is absolutely. I want to ride it all night long. Um, what up are we next, twentieth okay. of May for two weeks. Sorry, no, six, six weeks. weeks. Six weeks. Goodness me. Um, <laughs> Look, no disrespect to Meryl Bainbridge. Um, this is Meryl Bainbridge mouth. This is the next song. Yep. No disrespect to Meryl, but I'd completely forgotten that both she and this song existed <laughs> until doing research for this. I had to take a moment as well. Yeah. As soon as I, I listened to it on YouTube and went, oh, I do remember this now, mm. but I literally erased it from my memory to it's the point that... It's a weird one. She yep. was, this is a one-hit wonder, and it was an Australian-only one-hit mm-hmm. wonder as far as I know. Meryl is Australian. Um, I have a feeling that... Um, you know how song, you know, there's there's the long the long tail, I guess, so to speak, like of a lot of these songs where they're a big hit, yeah, and then they sort of, you know, obviously the play trails off to like it's not going to be as played as much as when it's a hit, but sort of, you know, they get played forever, you know, yeah, like I'll so go into the, oh classic rock, yeah, of course, yeah. you go into the IGA, I'm still going to hear Phil Collins, Susu Studio, yeah, um, one night in Bangkok, one night yeah, in Bangkok, sure. oh, especially Cole's Radio, I'm probably still going to get a <laughs> bit of La Bouche and um, you know all the other Eurobeat songs that I've spoken about previously. Um, but this is one of those ones that it seems like by 1995, just nobody played it ever again. No. In a, in a 95, I mean, because I can't recall hearing this since it came out. Yeah. It's a, it is a weird style. It's a kind of... It's very Indie-ish pop kind of... Yeah. Sort of with kind of quirky female vocals. That That's... It's not, it's not even really calling it a style, but there were some songs around 
in that vein at that time. But yeah, I mean, on top of that, it's a very basic song. It's pretty much just like a half-spoken vocal yep. and a sort of plinky piano with a weird sort of effect on it that makes it sound almost like a harpsichord or something. Yep. But it's kind of bouncy, you know, it's got a sort of bouncy backbeat. But like, you know, apparently with the right promotion, you can get a number four hit in the US, yep. which is what this got to, seemingly. And yeah, although the album didn't even crack the top 100. Yeah. I think um, if we could get Meryl on the podcast, is it too rude to just say what the fuck you've been up to for 25 years? <laughs> or is that okay? Is that street legal? I don't know what it is. With someone like Meryl, I suspect maybe she just went she got another career. Probably, <laughs> yeah. But interestingly though, this was, so this was released in Australia in October 1994. Um, and then it disappeared quickly due to a lack of interest in airplay charting outside the top 100. Yeah. Single was released, didn't even crack the top 100. No one gave a flying fuck about it. Then the song was repackaged, reissued in 1995, and with the help of Airplay and a bit more promotion, so they spent a bit more cash Mm -hmm. on it, um, the single belatedly entered the ARIA top 100 uh, charts in March 1995 at number 60. Yeah. So it cracked the top 100, but still number 60. You're not getting on Rage at 60. They only played the top 40 or whatever. So then... um, it stayed in there for ages and ages and ages. Must have got a bit more airplay, picked up a bit of momentum, and then finally, after nine weeks, I think, in the charts, it hit number one and then stayed there for six more weeks. Okay. So that was pretty good. It's apparently the longest-running number one by an Australian female in the 90s. Wow. So that's okay. pretty good, six weeks. So um, it spent 26 weeks in the charts, and it was the fourth-highest-selling single for 1995. It, it does have that catchiness quality. Yep. that we talked about that is distinct from any other yep. <laughs> form of quality. For sure. Like yeah. I could I could still remember the chorus of this. I'd forgotten every oh, other thing about yeah, it. But like, as soon as I'd heard the title, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Now, Tom, ARIA charts. We're talking about the ARIA charts. ARIA mm-hmm. awards. Yeah. Um, we haven't really talked about the ARIA awards that much, but it's obviously the awards that are... Every year, it, I think it's based the on Australian basic record Grammys, sales. Yeah, basically, it is yeah. effectively. So this year, Meryl Bainbridge in 1995, she got five nominations, which is pretty good. Single of the year, best female artist, best new talent, breakthrough artist, and best <laughs> pop release. <laughs> no wins. Yeah, well, I mean, let's face it, this song does not belong in any of these categories. I mean, if you get nominated for five... You, you show up to those awards. The Aria's call, you've been nominated for five things. You're like, fucking A. I'm going to take home at least one of these things. You show up, and then you go home with nothing. It's like... I think that says more about the Aria's than, than, than Meryl. Meryl. Yeah, it probably does. Yes. I think you're right. I mean, even something like Best New Talent and Breakthrough Artist single both imply that the artist is going to then proceed to have a career in the music yeah exactly it'd be like uh, the modern equivalent would be giving you know on the day that they come number one on X Factor just walking up and handing Davo Stewart who just won with his banjo country hit performance of an Oasis song or whatever yep congratulations you're the best breakthrough new talent I mean it's true in the sense that he broke through from no one knowing who he is to people knowing who he is but it still implies that oh okay this is just the start of his career not that and that's the last you know the last so he broke through the wall said hi turned around and then fucked off into the void well that effectively which what is it what is. happened to Meryl in this so people didn't know who you were now they know who you are but you still haven't done anything of note yeah. but I think look what this shows to me, Tom, is, and effectively is that, as we've mentioned, 
released originally October 94. No, uh, was it right? Yeah, no one cared. Repackaged, re-released. Yeah. Took time. So it just goes to show that I think that, you know, if you stick with something for long enough, it's a good thing because occasionally, from time to time, it just takes people time to acknowledge mediocrity. Is that correct? Yeah, maybe. But I mean, it's a, I don't know what you mean. It kind of it makes you wonder what role the promotion played in it, and and know? also that sort of makes you think what songs were underpromoted in the yes, past that could have been that, that topped out at twenty three, but a bit more promotion could have hit number yeah. one. But I think what it, for me, what I take away from this is that Meryl, she stuck with it for a long time, finally got a number one hit. So I'm thinking of sort of other artists that I, I respect that, you know, have been at it for a while and haven't really broken through, but they should stick with it. And one of them that's, that comes to mind is probably my favourite rapper, um, Melbourne uh, rap icon Raid. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Raid, I Tom. I do know the Raid story. Uh, R-A-E to the motherfucking D. Um... <laughs> Look, No More Tears to Cry is one of the finest rap songs I've ever heard in my life. Um, he, I think, has been declared by several publications as, quote, the worst rapper of all time, end quote. <laughs> was but he I, Australian? He's Australian. Oh, good. And, uh, I'm proud we can take that title. Uh, he's got a song called Love This City, which is about <laughs> Melbourne. Um, still flowing. Uh, I've Come a Long Way, Baby. He's released a film, which is available sure. on YouTube talking about his entire career um <laughs> everything he's ever released it, it's effectively um he is you've obviously i don't know whether everyone that listens to this podcast has seen the room um but he is effectively the the, the, uh, the okay. tommy tommy was tommy was of australian rap <laughs> like legitimately that level of just no self-awareness <laughs> Just completely terrible, but yeah, I fucking love that guy. So, and I'm assuming he still played uh, daily on Triple J <laughs> during one of their daily six-hour-long white hip-hop brackets. Well, he's not white. Uh, but oh, he's not. No, <laughs> okay. I, I, Sorry, I, terrible hip-hop. No, no, he's he's. I don't want to. I don't want to say in case I get it wrong. Because, um, <laughs> but yeah, I wouldn't. He's not indigenous. He's not. Um, African, uh, okay. probably Middle Eastern ish. Sure. Is that is that something? Can you still say <laughs> Middle Eastern? Is, I don't even know. Maybe sort of. I want, I'm not going to say like say Lebanon, but maybe within that sort of. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, His so name sort of suggests that a bit exactly. But he is um, through and through one of the finest rappers that this country <laughs> has. Go check him out on YouTube. I might even add a couple of tracks as bonus on the playlist sure. this week. But, um, yeah, so that's a bit of a uh, Meryl Bainbridge, completely unrelated to Meryl. They might be dating now, I don't know. Raid and Meryl. <laughs> You've heard it here first on the podcast. Meryl Bainbridge is dating Australian rapper Raid. Um, tell your friends, hot couple, good stuff. Um, so that was for six weeks. Up next, for one week, 1st of July, Brian Adams, have you ever really loved a woman? Oh, um, oh, God. Sorry, did you have some uh, lyrical highlights from Meryl? <laughs> did I, did oh, I skip oh, ahead no, too no, much? That's okay. <laughs> like, there's not a lot to say. It does It does have weird, slightly odd lyrics. No, 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 it. please hit me with them. I've skipped um, ahead too fast. No, 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 that's okay. Um, I was going to say that that song, like, I did not, I, I, I know I said before that no one's ever heard of Meryl Brainbridge outside of yep. Australia, but... That song was number four in the US somehow. That's pretty good. It shows what promotion can do. As I said, her album didn't even crack the top 100 there. And if you're wondering, just after all that we said about her, how her second album went, 
let's just say that it had a cover of I Got You Babe featuring Shaggy on it. And <laughs> let's leave it there. What? <laughs> so I am kind of vaguely curious to hear that. I'm sure it's I'm, a cover of I've Got You Babe with Shaggy. How the featuring how? Shaggy? Because <laughs> <laughs> neither of them really sing. But no. neither of them really rap either. I'm wondering how that would no. actually go. No, anyway. no, no. That's good. Um, lyrics. It's got slightly weird lyrics. Uh, when I kiss your salty lips, you'll feel a little crazy. But for me, I'll be famous on TV. Oh, yeah. Uh, what the fuck does that mean, Ben? I don't know. I've got absolutely no idea. Does she think that eating Pringles and making out would attract the attention of a news crew? Is she saying that if it wasn't for her shit personality, she'd be famous? Or is she masterminding a new Jamie Kennedy experiment-style prank show where she just sexually <laughs> assaults strangers inside a series of fish and chip shops? I don't know. It's it's all up in the air. Very anyway, much so. that's enough about Meryl. Um, 56,000 listeners on the Spotify. Wow. So it's a few so more. So not that many more than Hocus Pocus. No, not that many more. <laughs> Dutch Gabba experts. So it's a lot, yeah, for sure. Uh, I'd rather dance to Gabba. I think so, I think so. So anyway, so so sorry, Tom. What have we got next then? Well, Tom, it's a big surprise. It is uh, mm, Brian Adams, Have You Ever Really Loved a Woman? Now, this featured in the film uh, Don Juan DeMarco. Uh, Yes, I have seen that. Uh, A 1995 American romantic comedy drama, Johnny Depp. A man who believes himself to be Don Juan, the greatest lover in the world. You'll be surprised to hear that... Is it fucking garbage or is it okay? Johnny Depp, it's uh, both whimsical and romantic. (laughs) And he plays a handsome outsider who wears slightly unconventional clothing that involves a lot of vests. And all the hot chicks think he's super hot. So, yeah. Fantastic. That's about all I can remember about it. I remember there was... A scene at the start where he essentially picks up a woman by fingering her fingers. Oh, good. I was like, well, I don't know if this is erotic, but I've never seen that in a film before. So, you know, credit where credit's due. Look, Johnny, he's always innovating, I think. He's a method actor. He's he's probably, you know, tested it out in a few bars and clubs beforehand. Um, I don't know. Has he been outed in the Me Too movement yet? I know that his (laughs) his former wife or partner has suggested he's an abusive person. I think think it's more along the lines of, yeah, crazy, reckless, violent behaviour as opposed to actual full-on creepy sex. Gets drunk and gets a bit crazy. I think think he, he grew... He's older than he looks and he grew up in the era when actors... He still he the actors that he looked up to would have been the kind of people who where it was considered as part of your duty as a manly actor to yeah. be an alcoholic who treated women like shit, got mad at everybody, was hard to method. work with, smashed everything up, was a method arsehole, you know, created yeah. tabloid headlines everywhere he went, etc. And he seems to be still living in that world where he thinks that's how actors and dressing Yep. <laughs> like, a, like that kind like of pirate. He, oh, what do you do in interviews? Pirate. Oh, you just mumble surlily, you know, yep. and then you come up with one funny thing to say per every 10 minute interview, and that's the only bit anyone can hear. <laughs> so like, then everyone's like, oh, he's so funny. But yeah, anyway. 
Um, but that all that said, I will say that Don Duan de Marco still is better than this song. Oh, this song's such <laughs> shit. Absolutely. It deserves a better yeah. soundtrack. Oh, for sure. Can you believe that this song was nominated for the oh. best original song at the 80, at the uh, like, 60th Academy Awards, but like lost to Colors of the dude. Wind uh, from Pocahontas. <laughs> Which is oh, fair enough. Christ, but, who but, wrote that? But so. Brian Adams, as we've learned, like he, there was a time where I just assumed, um, and I think we've spoken about this before, that um, in the eighties, you're doing a soundtrack, you get on the phone to Kenny Loggins, but the, the it turned at a certain point in time where everyone just went Brian Adams because yeah. he's been every single number one almost that we've spoken about has been soundtrack yeah. shit, you're and right. most of them have been fucking hot garbage. And I will say too. To give him a small measure of credit, yeah. uh, Colors of the Wind is fucking appalling. Yeah. I, I listened to it. That This was from a very bad period of uh, Disney. Like, this is pre... Um, it's pre their comeback with fucking uh, Aladdin and... Uh, Aladdin and The Lion King yep. when they started to get good music again. This just sounds like Discount Barbara Streisand. Oh, uh, and awful. It sucks shit, even by the standards of 90s Disney music. The only good thing about it E.g., the only good thing about this song, uh, Brian Adams-wise, <laughs> I would have said, sorry, I'm switching back to Brian Adams, is that it uh, features some pleasant flamenco guitar. Oh, yeah, it does. By a guy called Paco de Lucia, who isn't Brian Adams. Yeah, That's the one thing that makes this sound just not exactly like the last four Brian Adams songs yeah. out of movies that we already talked about. Well, that's about. the thing. It's like, I need to do something different. Let's get some flamenco guitar in there. Mm. Now, in the music video, Brian is rocking a Zorro-style mask that looks yes. absolutely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they, it's like they tried to give it this kind of... South American flavour somehow in this but even though the song doesn't sound like that at all in any way it just has that that one little flamenco guitar bit briefly and for 20 seconds you go oh it's like I'm listening to a different song oh no we're back to we're back to Brian Zorro Adams you know yeah exactly and look I think you listen to the lyrics and look I don't know Uh, to really love a woman to understand her you've got to know her deep inside Mm -hmm. now we know that Brian Adams has been deep inside Rod Stewart and Sting and <laughs> he understands them. Yes. So there must be some truth to the incredibly shit lyrics here. I think, you know, he knows them very well. <laughs> he understands them well because mm. he's been deep inside them in that gangbang from uh, the previous... That was another soundtrack song, wasn't it? It was, yeah. No, it just is... Seriously, it's like the, there's one a year for the last... Well, there was... The whole 90s. Well, there's this. the Yeah, that one, the the three, yeah, All for Love one. And then, uh, obviously, from fucking Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yep. It's at least, and there's three that I can think of. There's probably several more. But yeah, and here's they, the thing. They were just the number ones. These are just oh, number ones. Exactly. I'm talking about. And the thing is that they don't really... They don't seem to... They don't hire big names to write songs for... New films these days, do they? Is that is that why Brian Adams has a, hasn't had a hit for twenty years? Because they don't just go. Do they still do it? We've talked about this before. To me, like it seems to me that they they use music in movies still, obviously, but yep. it doesn't seem like they hire people specifically to say, "Hey, look, can you do exactly. a theme song for yep. this film?" They just go, "Who's in the charts?" Ring up bloody Cardi B and say, "Hey Cardi B, can we borrow? You know, yep. I've got a giant ass for our next movie." And she goes, "No worries, give us two million bucks." I mean, what? I'll wear the costume in my next 
video. What's going to... This year, 2021, what's going to be one of the biggest films? You think is it's going to be like... It'll be some Marvel <laughs> thing, will it? Will it be or uh, like June? Year, people, could, people, yeah, it could be June. It could be the new James Bond film. Yep. I think that got big. So here's a question. Do the people, the producers of James Bond, give Brian Adams a call and say, bro, <laughs> we, need, we saw your work on Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. We saw your work on Don Juan DeMarco. <laughs> We need we need something. <laughs> they don't do that these days, do they? No, they it's, don't. It's why it doesn't have a hit because people are just like, we don't want some I bullshit mean, film thing. Yes, the problem is, all, like he would have made enough money to buy several castles. Oh, of this. Of as course. discussed, this is in the nineties where if you were big and you had a good record deal, you would make a fuck ton of money off just selling records, yeah, chart charting and stuff. But I mean, song wise, like who does anybody listen to this now? Like, to compare this to something slightly more challenging, just from this year, Baby Did a Bad, Bad Thing by Chris Isaac came yep. out this same year, and he would have been in the same part of the record shop a much better at that song. time. Yeah. Like, he would have been in the kind of, you know, male pop yeah. slash easy listening type stuff. Baby Did a Bad, Bad Thing shits on this from high orbit. That only got to number nine in the US charts, 29 on the Billboard Top 40. Despite the video featuring both Chris Isaac and Letitia Castor, yep. who are both smoking hot instead of Brian Adams, who looks like Brian Adams, yep. um, swanning around with an elderly flamenco oh, guitarist wearing yeah, a mask, dumb Zorro mask. sort of Zorro mask, like pretending right. he's in the film, which he's not. A film Does which Johnny Depp wear that mask in the film? No, well, I don't. Just like, what's so I, I was like, is this it's from Zorro? I mean. It's just like someone's gone. It's black and white too. It's like, oh, it's from a film. I think the film's something to do with Zorro, some South American shit. Just make it look South American. <laughs> just you know, yeah, it sucks. Hire a bloody you know, crumbling. Um, Spanish villa in mm. Mexico somewhere and film there for a weekend, but yeah, man, just Brian Adams just has not aged that well. No, if absolutely. I was if I was Brian Adams now and I didn't have twenty eight billion dollars or however much yep. it's worth, I would be calling up Lonely Island, going, "Please, can you make me ironically cool again?" Yeah, I'll do. I'll wear a dress in the video or whatever. I'll pretend to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, whatever it takes. I'll do a song about dildos. Just make me cool again. Look, Brian but, Adams. Yeah. He has 15 million monthly listeners on Spotify. Oh, you know. But no one is listening to this song. It's he, all of his other hits, I guarantee. Oh, yeah. other, no this is shit this. even by Brian Adams. Yeah, this standards. sucks. Even, even by the standards of the ones we've already discussed, this is only one week. It's only oh, exactly. the top. And this film has been forgotten. At least those other films were yeah, exactly. famous at the time. You know? Look, um, the lyrics of this are fucking horseshit, but I, I think that Brian Adams, like, he really hit peak... Horseshit lyrics on the song Let's Make It a Night to Remember. I don't know if you remember that one. But it's a, Let's Make It a Night to Remember. The lyrics are Let's Make It a Night to Remember from January to December. Let's Make Love to Excite Us, a Memory to Ignite Us. Let's Make Honey Baby Soft and Tender. Let's Make Sugar Darling Sweet Serena. Now, a night to remember from January to December. Now, I don't know a lot about. Um, calendars or how days or, or time works. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, a physicist that can really talk through the intricacies of that. But if someone said, "Hey, mate, come on, let's make it a night to remember," I would assume that that means on that specific evening we would go and do let's have a few yeah. beers, you know, whatever. But a night to remember for Brian Adams is from January to December, <laughs> which is a fucking full calendar year. <laughs> and then he says, "Let's make honey and let's make sugar." So. You, you, Brian says, let's have a night to remember. You go, okay, mate. And the next thing you know, you're, you're signed up. 
you know, you're, you're in a honey manufacturing business. Yes. You sign a contract to, you know, to mm. harvest cane sugar for 12 months. You're like, mate, this isn't it at all. I thought me and Brian were going out to have a few beers and now I'm like fucking trying to harvest cane sugar for 12 months. Fuck that. Also, Makes no sense. By the nature of the statement, if a night to remember occurs 365 nights a year, yep. how fucking memorable is it's it going to be? It's not memorable. You know, I mean, I'm sure the first time he licked honey off Rod Stewart's ass, exactly. that was very memorable. But, you know, after he'd done it for three solid years every single night, I'm sure, you know, they were going, hey, let's see if Sting will come in. You know, we need to, you know, mix this up a bit. I think that's probably how the three-way originated. So. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But definitely, I mean, All right, let's, those let's let's suck. move away from here. Move the audio it. equivalent of any, the Canadian yeah. tuxedo, for fuck's sake. Uh, any highlights? I, mean, oh, I think you've just, covered okay, the lyrics cool. pretty deep. All right, up next for six, fuck, six, six weeks? Serious? Uh, you two, hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me. Um, yes. Six weeks of that. Uh, this is from the Batman Forever film, so you know it's good. We've already we spoke about Batman we Forever did, at the very yes. top of the episode. Um, look, so effectively, um, U2's involvement, the soundtrack, uh, began when uh, director Joel Schumacher he tried to get a cameo for Bono. Oh, yes. So uh, Bono, we talked a few weeks about how Bono has all these different alter point, egos. He started dressing up as different characters on stage. Yeah, so he had you one. Can sort of, you can sort of get the logic. Like Batman's full of colourful characters and shit. Yeah, exactly. So we'll have we'll be having a party. We'll have fucking Bono walk past in the background wearing a friggin' devil cape or some shit like that. Exactly. So they were going to say Bono, you're McFisto in Batman Forever. So. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you say that, can I say, just for the benefit of people, it's spelt M-A-C-P-H-I-S-T-O, and it's supposed to be a joke on Mephisto, as in the devil, obviously, but every time you hear someone say it, it just sounds like the new, you know, anal sex-related hamburger from McDonald's is coming out with, you know... I think off the back of the uh, Windows 7 burger, I think, Tom, that's the one that comes out after that. Try the new McFisto. Remember to do some amyl beforehand. Exactly. So, look, apparently the character, McFisto, was meant to attend a party scene. Yeah. Batman forever makes sense so um, although both tried to make the scene happen they both came to agree that it wasn't suitable for the film oh, okay. so if an idea wasn't good enough for Batman forever then you know it was completely <laughs> fucked have you, so, have you seen Batman forever? I have oh, okay. it's completely fucked is, no, do you oh, really, is it know. better or worse than Batman and Robin do you think is that the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it? Yes. Yeah, that's the worst with one. With the ice That's the absolute worst one. Yeah, but this, this one has Jim Carrey. But that Tommy one Lee that Jones. one is so shit that you can watch it in sort of like a comic or like, <laughs> fuck, this is a... I think this one's just a bit more boring. So. It has a but car then again, driving up a vertical wall. But, I but then again, I would have seen this in like the 90s and not since. True, so true. I don't know. Look, Tom, maybe we should do a, um, a, a full Batman screening of all the Batman. That would take us six weeks to get through. Um, and I mean that not as in doing one a week. I mean just literally six weeks of watching them back to back. There's so much stuff. I can't so, watch yeah. Batman and Robin again because I still have PTSD from watching what's his name try to be Robin. Yeah, Who's exactly. That long forgotten actor's name. Yeah, fucking, he's in Scent of a Woman. <laughs> I believe the current. If he would, if he came out now and started in a video game, he would be colloquially referred to as Whitey McWhiteson. Oh, uh, okay. I'm not sure, Chris. Someone, anyway, uh, right? Yeah. 
Sorry, uh, that's another <laughs> day, that shit. Okay, so... But look, so anyway, so... basically, this song to be used in the film. Yeah, yeah, because that was it. They were just like, let's get Bono to throw on a gold jacket oh, yeah. and some devil horns, and that'll be fun. This Everyone went, also, fuck that. So, yeah. I believe you said this also lost to fucking Colours of the Wind. Oh, this was, yeah, exactly. This was also nominated. <laughs> so, the nominated songs were that Brian Adams thing, which sucked. Yeah. This, and then they all lost to Pocahontas. This, is, this is better than better better Pocahontas. Than this but, is... I know, fucking kill me. This, I reckon this is catchy. Like, yep. this was also a number one in Canada, Finland, Ireland, Norway, and New Zealand. So we can't take all the blame. This isn't but terrible. I, I secretly don't hate this. It's kind of sort of glam rock verve. It's kind of energetic, like a sort of T Rex kind of vibe. You know, it's not boring, but it's. I think this kind of signifies one of those points where people. Stop taking you two seriously outside of stadium rock. We keep saying that, though, so maybe I've just maybe they've done that many times. Look, this is look. I'm okay with this, um, and I don't mean I'm not giving that the two thumbs up. I'm just saying if this is on in the IGA, I'm not running out of the store. This is, I'm fine with this. It's mm. okay. Look, it's not too bad. Look, um, I think, but interesting, it, it was nominated for uh, the Golden Globe, lost to po- to Colors of the Wind, Pocahontas, but it was also nominated for a Golden Raspberry oh, Award okay. <laughs> for Worst Original Song, where it lost to Walk Into the Wind from Showgirls, <laughs> which I is fucking to, awful. I had to look. I mean, I've seen Showgirls Jesus. plenty of times, so I, ha- I honestly couldn't remember the song. I had it's to the look rapist it from Showgirls. But, oh, God. Uh, you know that dude? But, and, yeah. but where, where does the song appear, though, in the uh, film? I don't even know. I had to Google it. This, I mean, yeah, right. This song's definitely better than that. Fucking Walking to the Wind. so bad. Walking to the Wind is like the song that got cut from the Eric Clapton tribute roast for being too viciously accurate yeah. of a roast. It's just appalling. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, up against those three, I'd say this definitely wins. Absolutely. But, um... Look, I think we've spoken about Showgirls before on this podcast. Oh, so I don't need to get into it too great. much, but um, I think that um, I rewatched you don't. I uh, not rewatched. I watched you don't know me oh, yeah. the other day. That was a good time too. Yeah, definitely. Was a fun little definitely. It's it's um. Look, I I really feel for uh, the lead actress in Showgirls. Elizabeth Berkeley. Yeah, Berkeley. I mean, no, I think she was done wrong by the critics. By the critics. To, the director, to some extent, who hung her out to dry a little bit. He later, he later came out and said, "Look, I, I know, told her that I told her to overact, and what that stuff on the screen was deliberate." But you know, yeah, he didn't do it at the time. At the time, he let the critics just hang her out to dry. But it was a weird directional choice as well, because you know, I can't yeah. remember watching RoboCop and being like, "Oh, everyone was overacting the whole time," or you know what I mean? Like it was sort of, it wasn't like he'd pulled that before and just went. Just be completely over the top. To be, to give him credit, because I do like Verhoeven, even so though he's I. a fucking, you know, slightly concerning nutbag. A lot of great films in that. Yes, in that, yeah, uh, he does have collection. a slightly weird attitude to female members of his cast, but <laughs> sure, you know. Um, perhaps he did camp it up on purpose, thinking that, hey, this dialogue is... It's, it's not... It's camp or it's overdone as hell. Yep. The story is overdone as hell, but it's set in Vegas, a town that is overdone as hell. And the whole point of it is about this is about this kind of over intensified thing. Yep. And so that's what he was aiming for with the acting as well. It's just that not many of the other people in the cast are acting at that level. I think yep. maybe her and Gina Cashon are up there and then everyone else is sort of well, Kyle McLaughlin's closer not. to <laughs> no, he's weird, but yeah. he's not. 
like and so they kind of stick out and I think maybe he was just hoping that the audience would it, greet it with the same sort of the same way that they do now like that they might not ironically like it but they might see that it was intentionally silly yeah in some ways whereas at the time people didn't figure out that but then again I mean there were critics who didn't work out that fucking Starship Troopers is supposed to be a satire at the time oh, I'm yeah, like oh this was... film seems to espouse fascism so, like, yeah. yeah that's what it's deliberately doing. yeah exactly I mean <laughs> people are idiots but yeah but anyway. what but he, the thing that I enjoy about when you look at that whole body of work from you know the director is that you know I legitimately love Robocop oh me too it's a great film yeah Total Recall great film yeah Showgirls so dog shit that it's really enjoyable yes. so it's sort of yeah. gone the spectrum of like actual quite good films yeah and terrible films that are still ironically the enjoyable thing, the, so. the connecting thread between them is that they all have a weird sense of humour they all have a kind of black sense of, of humour it's yeah. just that in Showgirls the people in the film are not do not seem to be having any fun. Yeah, exactly. No one seems to be having a good time. I did watch Jade, <laughs> the uh, the Showgirls writer's uh, film. Oh, and Joe Esterhaus. Esterhaus's fuck, film. He's a immediate, immediately before Showgirls, <laughs> and fuck, it was so bad. But, I um, want to see the documentary about Joe Esterhaus staying at Mel Gibson's house for weeks while they try to put together a script about a Jewish folk heroes to try and re-establish Mel Gibson's career after he famously went on a fucking anti-Semitical rant in the back of a cop car and his whole was public that, image imploded. Was that filmed? <laughs> them hanging out? No, know? but Joe Westerhouse wrote a sort of bo- a thin book about doing it, but I would love to see that film, you know. That Jeez, you know. That's, that's two people getting together <laughs> for all the right reasons, I think, Tom. So, sure. um, look, um, good stuff. Um, uh, to get sorry. back to the actual thing, um, the this video, I just wanted to say one thing, the, the music video for this, as you'd expect from a 90s music video, You Two Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me, it's half of it is music, uh, movie extracts, bits yep. of movie clips, and the other half is sort of animated segments. Yeah. And they were overseen by Sean Mayer and Manga Studios, while two artists from Leicester, Dave King and Dave Milgate, oversaw the design work based on uh, a script. The animation team, consisting of 72 artists, wow. only had an 11-day window to complete the clip using old-fashioned, it's old-fashioned paint-on-cell okay. animation. So, yeah. After several sleepless nights, the clip was delivered at 6am on the day it was to debut on American TV. So, wow, that's commitment. So they must have edited it in like half a day. That is commitment to, to getting that down. Because, yeah. you know, and that's good because I think the video clip, yeah, it's, it's enjoyable. If anybody wonders why you don't see a lot of hand animated music videos anymore, it's that. because it takes <laughs> 72 fucking people to make exactly. about a minute and a half of it. Yeah. Look, don't hate this, Tom, but what I will say is fortunately this song wasn't forced onto my iPhone like that entire U2 <laughs> album uh, several years ago. You've never so forgiven them for that. I never have, you know, but that, that was punk as fuck apparently according to Bono and that guy knows punk, so it's all good. Um, lyrical highlights for this? Um... They want you to be Jesus. They'll go down on one knee, but they'll want your money, their money back if you're alive at 33. Yeah, that's now, true. That's not terrible. That's not terrible. 
the band were around that age at the time, and it follows his Irish Catholic thematic staple yep. of associating fame and drugs with religious imagery. But then, because he's fucking Bono, he has to push the metaphor over a cliff by adding, and you're turning tricks with your crucifix, you're a star. Which is nonsense. <laughs> he just clearly liked the rhyme of turning tricks and crucifix. Yep. Which is a recurring theme with Bono's lyrics. Like, he'll take you up to the edge of going, hmm, that's actually kind of clever. And then, nah, can't resist. <laughs> crucifix, <laughs> tricks. They both sound like the same word. All right, so up next is the magic of Jan Arden. Insensitive. Do you reckon that's Yan or Jan? Jan? Jan Arden. I had completely forgotten this one. Oh, fuck, so did I. Look, she's from Canada, so... One week only. One one week, one hit wonder. Um, Is this a power ballad? Because it kind of sounds like an off-brand heart, all I want to do is make love to you, to me. I sort of get that sort of... It does. That vibe. Um, Look, apparently it was released as part... It was a single... Mm. Um, released from the soundtrack to the Christian Slater film Bed of Roses. God. Now, is that top tier or bottom tier Christian Slater? <laughs> um, I'd completely forgotten it even existed. Bed of so. Roses, yeah, look, I think for me, um, not that anyone's asked, but top five Christian Slater for me, Pump Up the Volume, mm. Gleaming the Cube, yep. Heathers, Cuffs, True Romance. Oh, yeah. I've got to say. This doesn't make the top five for no. me. No, bottom, bottom tier would be Alone in the Dark. Yep. Although uh, Tara <laughs> Reid knocks it out of the park playing the most convincing scientific specialist since Denise Richards showed off her <laughs> nuclear physics qualifications in The World Is Not Enough. But yeah, no, I'd completely forgotten this one. I mean, yeah. it, it was a one-hit wonder from Canada. Yeah. Um, so was uh, Anne Laurie who wrote it, the song. Although she did have an album called The Mullet Years, oh, which good. is also the name of my high school journal. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Yann Arden went on to be a successful Canadian musician, toured with oh, Michael yeah. Bublé, oh. and starred in a sitcom made about her life called Yann, which is currently the most popular TV comedy in Canada. <laughs> but she, you know, like It's like a massive sitcom over there, wow. and it's been going for years. There's a whole bunch of obvious jokes that suggest She plays herself? Um, yes, yeah, it's about her life, but Good. you know, then again, I'm Australian, so I should probably keep my comments in my pocket. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, what have, what have you got? You got any lyrical highlights? For oh, this I've got one? no lyrical. I do. I've got heaps. Look, um, <laughs> Tom, I think like, you know, all good art, as we know, asks more questions than the answers it provides, and I think this song, the lyrics are just entirely questions. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether you're so yarn asks a lot of questions to the listener are you able to answer them I don't know if you are Mm. Tom how do you cool your lips after a summer kiss (laughs) is that is that a rhetorical Mm. question or is it sort of like summer kiss like like a calippo or something like that (laughs) bubble o bill ice cold VB perhaps probably Um, how do you numb your skin after the warmest touch Mm. oh dead arm probably probably yep punch that dead arm how do you slow your blood after the body rush? Uh, morphine. More, yeah, absolutely. Directly injected into I think it's, it's certainly some sort of opioid, <laughs> I think. I completely agree <laughs> on that. How do you free your soul after you've found a friend? Uh, a complicated necromantic um, <laughs> ordeal <laughs> that involves, you know, ritual sacrifice, 
secret books, you know, gathering in the woods at midnight, that sort of thing, a lot of dancing around naked. Yeah, so it's safe to say that freeing your soul after you've found a friend is slightly more complicated than cooling your lips after a summer kiss. <laughs> mm. One involves a trip to the 7-Eleven for a Calippo, <laughs> the other one involves, you know, some sort of ritual necromancy, which is, you know, how do you teach your heart it's a crime to fall in love again? <laughs> Now, that is a shit line. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Look, it's safe to say... How do you teach your heart that it's a crime to fall in love again? Yep, absolutely. Um, Like, who is she? Is she talking to herself or to the other person? Look, I don't know. Safe to say all of these lyrics are fucking abysmal and I'm glad that she never recorded again. Now, at the 2006 Juno Awards, which are effectively the the Canadian arias... (laughs) Which and the Arias are the Australian Grammys. Grammys. Yep. So, um, so Paula, uh, Pamela Anderson, she was on stage. She presented an award, and she, when Pamela Anderson was on stage, she talked about um, her campaign at the time was anti seal hunting. Oh, yeah, she's remember a you may she, yeah you may yep. have remembered she Pamela Anderson also at some time um, was pro Julian Assange. I think she was the one <laughs> on the outside room trying oh, to yeah, get him released. That's right. She was all pro Assange. So um, just stick to Baywatch, I think. Probably <laughs> stay out of political matters, perhaps. But no, no, it's actually good on her for sort of getting involved in all <laughs> kinds of stuff. So anti seal hunting. So Ardern, she got up on stage and she joked. Wait for this that her bra was made entirely from seal eyelids. Mm, perhaps if there was a single line funny? in her song that... that was as entertaining as I that. Got my bra's... <laughs> Pamela's gone up and went, I hate, you know, fucking seal hunting. She went, oh, my whole thing's made of seal eyelids and everyone just went, whoa. <laughs> Is it funny? Is it shit? <laughs> I don't even I don't, I, I don't even I'd know. I don't even know anymore. I don't even know anymore. If you think know. I'm going to start looking up YouTube clips of the I'm 2006 not. Canadian Grammys you got. Well, let's just say, Tom, I look up everything and I didn't bother doing that. I was just like, fuck that. Also, I can't help know, but that's 10 years after this song came out. So either she's up yep. there getting a Lifetime Achievement Award for one week at the top of the Australian <laughs> charts, <laughs> or she kept recording in Canada and, you know, it's, I'm assuming that could have been that. something from the yeah. sitcom, who knows. But yeah, look, so she recorded the song as well, apart from Insensitive, called Run Like Mad, which was originally recorded to be the theme song for Dawson's Creek. Oh, okay. Yeah, but um, it was only used in the first season of International. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so not in the US, and the song was used again on the DVD set apparently. But I don't want to wait. The song was just the theme song from Dawson's Creek. It got too expensive, so she asked for too much money. So they went back to this bullshit. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's like a sliding doors moment. I don't want to wait. The theme song from Dawson's Creek. It's iconic. Everyone has it as their ringtone. I've got the lyrics tattooed on my arm. I think everyone loves the theme from Dawson's Creek. Just imagine for a second that if Jan Ardern's track made it as the theme of Dawson's Creek, she she'd basically she'd be Prime Minister of Canada by now. I think. Mm. Like it mm. could have really that could have projected her to into sort of That's you know true. into outer space. I think Tom. Although that said, Paula Cole could legitimately be the Prime Minister of Canada right now, and I. That's true. I wouldn't know. No, you wouldn't know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. For all I know, she's less popular than Jan or Jan, who's got a... It's it's Jan, isn't it? Let's face it, she's Canadian. It's fucking Jan. Yeah, I mean, it's it might like, be Jan, I, I, I bet you Paula Cole does not have the biggest sitcom in 
America. Oh, exactly. I mean, also, personally, I always thought um, "Kiss Me" by Sixpence None the Richer was a better song <laughs> of all three the, of these. From the Dawson's Creek soundtrack. Is, I don't want. I always thought "I Don't Want to Wait" was a dead giveaway for Dawson's Creek because, on the surface of it, if you just listen to it for ten seconds, it sounds like "I Don't Want to Wait." For my life to be over because I'm young and being in love is the most important thing in the world. Yeah. But when you actually listen to it, like when you actually start watching Dawson's Creek and paying attention to how the plots work and stuff and the way people talk to each other, it's actually about two middle-aged people talking to each other. It's one middle-aged person saying to another middle-aged person, we're going to be dead soon. I don't have time for you to fuck around. You've got to tell me whether we're going to... Try this properly or not, which actually suits the middle-aged, exclusively middle-aged writing staff of Dawson's Creek, who put together the middle-aged seeming plot lines and the middle-aged sounding dialogue for all the characters. Yep. So, yeah, Look, I think that was an accidental sort of, you know, reflection of the reality of the show. Really, absolutely. I think. Oh, and the fact that they all wear fucking casual knitwear all the fucking time definitely I remember when Dawson wanted an iMac and his dad was like fuck that bro you want an, an IBM it's got better processing power those are good times but <laughs> the, the reality is that um, yeah the, the thing about I don't want to wait is that um, as an avid Dawson's Creek watcher in the in the early 2000s because um, there was no internet back then and you couldn't stream TV shows you just had to watch what was on mm-hmm. screen uh, it was fucking awful but um, what I do remember is that I don't want to wait I'd only the, the theme song was like a minute and you'd hear that every you'd yeah. hear that one minute and then the show would come on I was on a bus once and I heard the whole song and just went this is fucking awful yeah. like <laughs> when it went for like four minutes it was real shit yeah. and then I realised that verses, oh yeah, yeah it had it's about old people you're right so yeah so that could have been Jan Arden it could have been me on the metro bus in Hobart listening to that going oh this is a great theme song from that you know fantastic but to show what a cultural touchstone, um, I, I had a, a CD from a, a um, early 2000s hardcore band and they'd put Dawson's Creek samples on there, <laughs> which is one of the, probably the shittest... Th- I think that's the day hardcore died, I think, Tom. So the fact that I remember Who buying a CD um, from Autumn to Ashes, <laughs> was the band called. That was probably a dead giveaway that it was going to be terrible. But I remember... I remember that showing up at a few parties. That oh, scene. yeah. They had some like... They were sort of like... It was... Not it was it was terrible I think but um I just remember getting that CD I think they had one song I'd heard but I'm gonna buy that CD got it <laughs> and then just putting it just going they're using Dawson's Creek <laughs> sample to sort of get get across the sort of we're gonna write a song about heartbreak or about sort of lot you know lo- I, lost love let's use a Dawson's Creek and it's just like fucking hell this I, is, I thought it was a joke though no it was legit oh, like shit. I think it was like serious like oh. we're using a Dawson's Creek sample because you to guys sort of, were into hardcore at the time yep. and Dawson's Creek ironically so when you had that CD I assumed that this hardcore band were oh. also using them ironically. Fuck, I hope so. I, I just not. think they used it legitimately. Oh, I was man, like, this is fucking rough. terrible. Yeah, it's really rough, I know. That's the so. level of emotional um, embarrassment that you could only hear by exactly. listening to but what like, metal sounds like now on the radio. Yeah, I did crush that CD and it has been used to build a road out of Launceston, <laughs> so it's okay, definitely. So it's good. Um, so that's that's um, anything else from from oh, Jan? There's no lyrical highlights of that one. No, this it's is terrible. two verses and three long choruses of "He's just not that into me," mm. which, if you think about it, is not what insensitive means. It's not tactless no. to be less attracted to someone than they are to you. 
or else I've been bumping into a whole lot of tactless ladies over the years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, is it sort of like a little bit of an Alanis Morissette ironic thing when yes. no, no part of the song is ironic mm. at all? It's just a completely fucking moronic take on what irony is, and this is the yeah. same thing. Don't, He's being insensitive. Don't name what, your song a one-word adjective if you don't know what the fucking word means. No, exactly. Why. You look that up. First. Yeah. That's 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 the first thing. Or just know. ask your friend, am I using this word? Am I using this correctly? <laughs> exactly, for sure. So absolutely. Maybe they did. Maybe they said it's shit house and she said, Well you're just being insensitive. Though. I think you know, I'm right. describing how bad the song is. I'm exactly right. You ask anyway. So look, Jan, um, see you later. We'll never hear from you ever again in this podcast. As uh, opposed to never hearing things again, what's uh, next? <laughs> he segued. Uh, <laughs> Excellently. <laughs> Six weeks of power from Seal, Kiss from a Rose. Oh, now, what a, what how many fucking times do you think Heidi Klum <laughs> had to hear this fucking song? Do you think? Well, how long were they together? At oh, least geez, once every for... Valentine's that's Day what, for the entire thinking. time they were together. So Heidi Klum, who's a supermodel and, you know, obviously very attractive mm-hmm. um, meets Seal who look I'm not going to shit on Seal but he's probably not the most attractive guy going he's alright I don't know is he a good looking guy he might be I I'm not really honestly sure. couldn't tell you look he's probably it? fine but look the point is that they meet you know they obviously chat and they're like oh I'm Seal and oh, Heidi Klum and he's like fucking stoked that yeah. he's met a supermodel and they're hanging out so sure. I'm sure they go on a date they're walking you know he's, he's, he's British from the UK, he's British yeah. so they're walking on the Thames and you know it's probably all like maybe you know light snow in January or something like that and you know he sort of starts just humming Kiss from a Rose and she's like oh you know <laughs> and then it's sort of oh she's so excited by that and then you know maybe on her birthday just sort of did you know a Kiss from Rose does that? Then maybe every Christmas, Mother's Day, anniversary, <laughs> yep. maybe just when she's gone, come back from the grocery shop. Valentine's and she's probably, Day. Valentine's She's like, fucking seal. <laughs> I don't want to fucking hear Kiss from a Rose ever again. You know, that's, I imagine that's how it went down. He got Heidi Klum with Kiss from a Rose and he pushed her away by too much Kiss from a Rose. <laughs> mm. Because... Um, 2004, she'd had enough and they ended up getting divorced and she's married to the guitarist from a German band called Tokyo Hotel, who I can tell you will not feature on this podcast. <laughs> sure. Uh, but back to the song itself. What do you think, Tom? Oh, it? It's such a, again, it's another odd song. Yep. Like, it's kind of a ballad, sort yep. of. It's, it takes the sort of shape of a ballad, although musically it's much more interesting than... It's much more swoopy and sort of... Operatic than Brian Adams, for instance. Yeah, well, that just sucks. I mean, but that song, but yeah, this yeah, is like, I mean, it's hard to dislike. I'll say that it's oh, hard to sure. hate it, and it's. I think it's got a kind of weirdness that has kept it going. Yeah, like people still kind of, you know, people still sort of joke about it. it Absolutely. Yeah. So look, Seal. So he first got. Um, he was he was on an Acid House single in 1991 <laughs> um, called Killer by by, by a group called Adamski. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Can you remember actually that? I heard that. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard? It? I have. Yeah, yeah. So it's I remember sort of, that. It's a bit like All Right by East Seventeen. Yeah. So in it was, that it's sort of it's obviously it tends to be dance club song except when you listen to it by today's standards it's about sixty BPM. Yeah. It'd be like trying to break dance to a metronome. At the thing. time, I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, but yeah, so. But um, so 
that was a number one single in the UK. Um, it only reached 112 in Australia. I so, had heard it though, yeah. so it must yeah. have been on the radio occasionally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he sort of, so he was there. He got his sort of break there, I guess. He did some yeah. vocals on that, and then he ended up getting signed to uh, a label, um, and then he he followed that up with uh, Crazy. You might remember that. We're never going to survive unless we get oh, a yes. bit crazy. Yep. So that, that was, was another radio hit. And that was produced by Trevor Horn of The Buggles, who yep. re- uh, video killed the radio star. So that was that. So um, And I think they did a whole... And he did all the, like, uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood shit as well, oh, I think. Oh, so, okay. Yep. So um, I did a lot of research. Couldn't find out where the name Seal came from. Because it's not his real name, Tom. No. It's not his actual strange. real name. Um, it's uh, Henry Samuel. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, so I couldn't, f- I tried to find out where his name Seal came from. Maybe like eating seal, maybe, <laughs> you know, he was riding seals, I'm not sure. Just a big seal yeah. fan in general. Couldn't find that out, but yeah. There was a rumour that he grew up in a war zone, and okay. that's where his facial scars came from. Yeah. He has this kind of, yeah, you'd know if you saw him, but yeah. Um, yeah, but he didn't. He grew up in London, and the scars are from lupus, which mm. is one of a terrifying number of diseases where your own body decides it wants to attack you over a long period. But it didn't stop him selling millions of albums or marrying a supermodel. Oh, so exactly. So maybe don't worry so much about that little mole on your cheek, you shallow asshole. Yeah, exactly that's right. My advice. I think that's. I think that's probably. If there's one thing people take away from this podcast is that <laughs> don't let any sort of physical. Mm. you know, scars or something that you might think is unattractive, someone else might find that attractive. So I think if you have a face-eating skin disease that makes you sort of look a bit weird, Mm. practice the guitar, write some songs, release a hit, and you can get married to a supermodel as well, I think. because I mean, one of the reasons I got into podcasting in the first place was because of my leprosy. (laughs) Exactly. But fortunately, no one can see what the front of my head looks like since all of the major parts of it fell off. Oh, they're all gone now. Exactly. So I think, and that's, you know, to to the pod, that's podcasting is a great way (laughs) to sort of, you know... Meet supermodels. Both have a creative outlet when you've got no face. So, yeah. Um, but look, I think one of the mysterious. This is a very mysterious song, apparently. So yeah, it's one of those lyrical ones that people. So argue much speculation about, about yeah, what Sorry. "Kiss from a Rose" means. I mean, a lot of people think it has something to do with maybe drugs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, rose. You know, "Kiss from" might be like heroin or something like that. Um, an expression of love. You know, even people have talked about perhaps a journey to the afterlife. Sure. They don't really know. Um, Seal has never explained what the song's about, um, but I think it's obvious. It's in the title, Tom. It's about um, just kissing a rose. <laughs> you see a rose, you go up, you give it a kiss. Sure. That's what that's what the song's about. It's about kissing a rose. And as we learned from Poison, every rose has its thorn. Mm-hmm. When kissing a rose, you just got to... Cautious, got to be careful because yes. give the rose a kiss, you might get spiked. But yeah, the song the song is very simple. It's just about spotting a flower on the street, giving a bit of a kiss. So I think that's what it's about. Um, <laughs> Makes sense. As far as I know, yeah, exactly. So I don't know why there's so much speculation about that. You know, it, it's the name of the song, "Kiss from a Rose." Give it a kiss. Mm-hmm. But I don't really understand it. So he said that um, this is this is inter- This is not interesting to anyone but myself. Um, Seal wrote this song. Um, in the late 80s, when he was living in a squat in Kensal Green in London. Sure. I used to live in Kensal Green, (laughs) Tom, um, in that squat. 
So when I found that, really? I did, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in Kensal Green. Yes, if, if, only no, I, if, if only I knew. If only I knew that, you know, if I had have known at the time when I was living in Kensal I would have tried to find the squat, <laughs> sort of rummaged around it, see if we could find the, the cassette tape. But yeah, so anyway, apparently, so Seal and me, so I co-wrote this song with Seal when I was living in Kensal Green. So I actually, I wrote this song. I wrote Kiss from a Rose when I was living in Kensal Green. Um, and then it time travelled back to Seal and basically, he didn't know how to play any instruments, mm-hmm. which is quite, pretty interesting. So he just sort of like, sort of hummed the instrumental parts into like a tape deck. Yeah. <laughs> and then he did the lyrics and then sort of um, forgot about it. And apparently, um, when he was recording his debut album before this, mm-hmm. he just went, no, nah, this is bullshit. Don't want to know anything about it. Just didn't bother recording it. Then when it came time for the, the follow up, he pulled the tape out. Gave it a bit of a listen and uh, yeah, went yeah. sweet. Let's record this. And you know what else, Tom? What? This song is so good, it ended up on <laughs> the Batman Forever soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, just like the previous number one. <laughs> yeah, clearly it was the biggest soundtrack of the year. Fuck, it had to be. Yeah. Both of these songs also don't involve really Batman thematically in any way, no shape or form. They don't. They also sound completely and utterly different. But yeah, yeah. The I, I do like that factoid though thing that that the thing with the four track like yep. him doing the voices that explains like when you listen to it that explains why it has this big long intro and the hooky part where he's just sort of singing yeah da 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 like he's just yeah. doing like vocal <laughs> bits and this big long intro like yeah if it would be like oh how could I fill up you know how can I mock this song up just by using my voice on a four track yep. yeah it is really interesting and I've certainly heard that before from you know bands that even I like where you, you wear sort of um, you know the drummer will say I can't play guitar so I'll sort of think of a melody or something and oh, I'll hum yeah. it or like record me just doing this sort of do and then I'll show it to the guitar oh, okay. player in the band and then I'll try and sort of take <laughs> that and turn it into a guitar riff. So it is, it's really interesting that, you know, just because you're not musical in the sense that you can't play an instrument doesn't mean you can't come <laughs> up with a really cool melody or something. So Seal effectively wrote this song just by sort of, I guess, humming it or doing the parts and then they he put the music to it later. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm sure when he wrote it, he just went, I really hope that one day this ends up on a Batman soundtrack. Um... <laughs> And it no, not number one, not, not number not one. first Batman, number three. Do you want to be on Batman? By the time Probably people not. are starting yeah. to get it. I mean, if he wanted to be on the original Batman, he would have recorded it in 88, but he waited. <laughs> he just went, I want this to be on like the third or fourth Batman film. So he waited until the time is right and just went, what, they're making a third one? Let's record this right now. So I got that on there. My so personal, I think personally, a much better use of this song is in... Uh, <laughs> The community episode "Studies in Modern Movement." Have you seen that one? <laughs> I haven't. Have they no. move house. It's it plays the full song plays over a very strange shopping mall blackmail karaoke paint huffing hallucination montage <laughs> with two people uh, karaokeing it in front of a very strange green screen thing. It's yeah, definitely worth checking out. I'll. I'll put the YouTube link on just for the song like the yeah, whole yeah. episode's quite funny but that, <laughs> in a weird way I think it works much better than it does in the actual Batman set I, I can't even remember where it appears in the Batman, in Batman off, I probably didn't it was just on it's the probably not yeah. it was probably inspired by Batman Forever which is absolutely so yeah um, Seal he still has a, a rock solid 4.3 million I believe Spotify it, listeners you know. so yeah definitely I mean this is this is a hit I mean 
Um, if you're yeah. in American tabloids, people will keep someone will keep listening to your stuff. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what lyrics. else? Anything else for this? Uh, yeah, lyrics. Well, as you said, they're they're odd. People sort of debate what they're about. One thing I found interesting is that I always thought it sounds like he's saying he's kissed. He's saying kissed by a rose on the grave. But he's really? actually yeah he's actually saying grave, which is one of the things that makes it really weird. He says it a lot in the song. It, grave makes sense because that's where you might find a rose. Yeah. But you know it, it, it's not. He's saying when you listen to it again, he is saying grave, saying kissed by a rose on the grave. So what grey means, I haven't got the faintest idea. And props yep. to him for not telling people. Why it's always better when you you know when it's a mystery, you know. Oh shit, I've been singing. Kissed by a rose on the groin for about <laughs> 25 years at karaoke, just at the train stations. Well, I mean, street, that, makes, at work. that makes sense. So, well. <laughs> um, fucking hell. So, HR, I'm surprised I haven't been involved. So. He also says that love remains the high and not the pill, which would seem to suggest that it's not about drugs. No. Because, you know. The easy, the easy way out with all the, especially the sixties and seventies stuff. Any song you don't know what the lyrics. Mean, oh, it's just, Oh, it's drugs. They're talking yeah. about drugs, but. Look, I think at the end of the day, Seal, this you got to look at this. A, it's on the Batman, Forever soundtrack. Sure. Two, it's a big hit. Probably got him <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. Three, it led to him being able to bang a supermodel. So I think on those three things alone, this is a massive success. Oh hey, look, he did well. He came five years way, earlier, he was living in a squat in Kensal Green, it's, he and came then a long he's gone from that. So Adamski, so. absolutely. So right. got him. So speaking of coming a long way, who's yep. next? Uh, up next is Mariah Carey, "Fantasy." Oh, I can Holy hear shit. extremely high vocal notes in my head already as you say that. Uh, look, this is the best song of the year for me, Tom. In terms of these number ones, I mean, holy <laughs> shit. Um, that chorus is just a sweet, sweet fantasy baby with Mariah hitting those high notes. If oh, that doesn't God. get stuck in your head for eight years, I'd say you're dead inside. <laughs> it's just an absolute earworm. I'm, I'm just humming that. I'm humming it now. Humming it on the way here. I'll be singing it all day tomorrow. It's just uh, fantastic. Well, I mean, I, I think maybe it's my favourite Mariah Carey song, although I don't like Mariah Carey much, so that's not Oh, so either much, do I. I mean, I well, like this and the Christmas one, <laughs> and uh, that's about it. It but. took uh, six people to write this, including Mariah, yep. two members of Talking Heads, producer yes. Dave Hall, <laughs> Adrian Bellew, a session guitarist who toured and recorded with Zappa, Bowie and King Crimson, mm. and Stephen Stanley, who produced the Talking Heads, Ringo Starr, the B-52s, and the song Spasticus Autisticus for Ian Jury. Oh, good. And the Blockheads. So, yeah, it's got a quite an unusual musical pedigree. But that the Talking Heads sort of yeah. influence may explain why it's sort of... I, I find it a lot sort of more bouncy and catchy than a lot of her stuff, which I find can just descend into warbling. What happened? I, I think to. I think uh, the song actually samples um, a song called Genius of Love. Oh, okay. By the Tom Tom Club and oh, two members of okay. and, the, and the two members. So they of that. get the credit, maybe. Yes, oh, yeah. okay. So those two members there were in, in Talking Heads. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I think what happened was that seemed but like you're a right, long though. bow to draw. But no, no, you're right though. It, like they didn't they didn't sit down and write the song with Mariah Carey, but they wrote the original song that which she sampled. Oh, okay. So yeah, so effectively I'll yeah. have to look up that original. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to hear the actual so, what was it called? Um, it is called Genius of Love, Genius Tom Tom of Club. Love. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, they did write the song, but yeah, the sample that was selected for that obviously makes it 
sound a bit different from some because sure. Mar- Mariah. I think the thing for me is that um, she had a lot of pretty boring ballads, mm. but then when she actually did an upbeat sort of song like yeah. this, it was a lot better. It was a lot. It was a lot. I sort mean, of more don't get me wrong. Her voice is fucking insane. Hearing, oh, hearing someone do pop music with a voice that is just ridiculously unnecessarily over talented for what the material is yes. like a dodgy three minute pop song is fun in itself like it's fun to hear somebody just you know she's got a pretty good range no uh, doubt about just, that so. just slightly <laughs> absolutely um, and look the video clip for this is probably the best thing going <laughs> as well for the year it's Mariah Carey rollerblading <laughs> at a fairground in cut off denim shorts and it has to be peak 90s with it doesn't it <laughs> I mean, those shorts are pretty short. She's on rollerblades. She's cruising around a fucking fairground. It's radical. This was her fifth album. Yep. Even though she's still pretty young at this point. And this is when she started to transition from her sort of younger balladeer phase into more of a sort of hip-hop tinged Mm -hmm. pop diva. And uh, and that really started happening with Dave Hall's production on this one and Honey, which was another big hit in Australia, certainly borrowing a lot of the sort of production sound and video look of the hip-hop of the time. Yep. Um, remember I was talking about, like, without a lot of, you know, knowledge to back it up necessarily, but previously about the sort of family tree of, like, musical noises with dance samples, back when talking about, like, the jump songs and stuff, at the start of the kind of hip-hop era and the dance music era, there was just these sort of samples that just get reused over and over and over again. Yeah. There's a background musical wine thing in uh, this song, which I will forever associate with, like, Cypress Hill, Tupac, and various other 90s hip-hop. Yeah. It's that kind of sort of sound. It's hard to explain, but it was in all this 90s hip-hop stuff. That was created by Quincy Jones in the Ironside theme. TV show themes, and it's sometimes nowadays called the Kill Bill Siren oh, because they, they use it in that. Kill Bill, that sort of... Yep. And it's all just... I think it's originally a mini Moog sampler and it's been sampled, reused, tweaked and copied in shitloads of hip-hop from like 808 Mafia to Tupac to Sean Paul and then a whole new generation found it. Now it's all over trap music, like you know millennial stuff from like yep. Narc Party to Future to The Weeknd. And it is kind of strange to hear it in Mariah Carey yeah, yeah. in 95, but it's all just this kind of thing. It's either that that sample stretched or expanded or somebody making that sound. So it's like a ubiquitous sort of hip-hop-ish rap pop sort of sample and then it's sort of yeah, unusual or, to hear it in Well, this. this is when hip-hops was starting yes, to influence but, pop a yeah, lot exactly, more. Yeah. Like she sort of took that stuff on board and, you know, and that gave her a kind of slightly sexier, poppier edge than just... Standing around in a ball gown, singing like Celine Dion, you know, kind of thing. Well, interestingly, when you talk about the hip-hop connection, um, the remix of this uh, featured Old Dirty Bastard from the Wu-Tang Clan. (laughs) There you go. There's a music video of the the remix version, which which he's in. And the the funny thing about it is that um, apparently he showed up on set and was just fucking drunk and showed up and just went, I don't have any clothes. For the video, and it's like, what? And he's like, yeah, I don't have clothes for the video. So they were, oh shit. So the production person had to drive him into like the mall or something and said, okay, what, what is, oh, uh, want some like, um, you know, the Timberland boots and some jeans or whatever. But then he sort of ran off and then like got all these like 
Gucci and Louis Vuitton <laughs> bags. Apparently, he was just like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna buy these." So he ended up just coming back with like all these bags that he'd bought, and just all these clothes. And then apparently, he just sort of um, showed up on set, just <laughs> fucked off his head, and just was like sleeping in the corner. They'd get him up and he'd do the stuff. But then also when they were in the studio doing the remix, apparently he would he showed up just fucked off his head and just came up and would like he'd go into the vocal booth and he'd rap one line and then he'd just go and sleep on a couch <laughs> and then he'd like someone like an hour later he'd wake up and he'd be like what and then he'd just be like oh yeah and then he'd do one more line then go back to sleep for another hour so they're like he ra- so his verse where he raps like eight lines are like it took like two days and he's just like you have to edit this together because I'm not redoing it so <laughs> Fantastic. So that was good. R.I.P. Old Dirty Bastard. Good on that guy. Um, (laughs) Scammed some free clothes out of Mariah Carey and took about eight years to do a three-line verse. So that was good. Um, Yeah, and look, anything that's Wu-Tan affiliated, I love it because um, for me, I just like any hip-hop group that uses a song to sell their own clothing merch, like their their own merch line. You know, So it's just like... What are you going to do? Let's do a song about Wu-Tang wear. So it's good. Um, yeah, so it's all right. So that's the hip-hop connection for that as well. Sure. But Tom, we've talked about how other songs this year, um, particularly Brian Adams uh, and obviously Seal and a few others for the Batman soundtrack. This also featured on the soundtrack. Did you know that? No. Um, it, it Yeah, it also featured on the soundtrack, although not until 2008 where it was in uh, Don't Mess With The Zohan. <laughs> so... The, the Adam Sandler film where I believe he plays a hairdresser. Have you seen that one, Tom? I still haven't seen it, but no. I've heard it's one of his better later period films. <laughs> so maybe I should check it out at some Oh, look, point. the bar is so fucking low mm, that mm, one, of, yes. one of his better, you know, later period <laughs> films is probably still total dog shit. Um, I reckon the last film of his I saw was Jack and Jill. Did you watch that one? No, probably again, one of the worst films I've seen in a thousand so years. So amazingly, the preview was so amazingly bad that I, I just can't believe they got Al Pacino <laughs> to to come in and do that. But um, yeah, look, fucking power to the dude that's just sort of like they'll let him do anything now, which is great. So yeah, so it was in Don't Mess with the Zohan. Not sure in what context, but um, yeah, all good. Um, look, Mariah, she's had nineteen U.S. number ones. Yeah, that's I mean, crazy. She also she remains the first and only artist in history to have their first five singles hit number one in first America. First five, wow, yep. that's great. First five singles hit number one in America. Like that's a no one else has done that. Not even Michael. Wow, you know, fucking yeah, absolutely. Look, um, and also interestingly, I think this is something that is a really new phenomenon, and that is that because of Spotify, uh, where the charts are decided on streams yeah. rather than sort of actual physical purchases of stuff. Um, every December, uh, Mariah, people will stream um, All I Want For Christmas yeah. Is You. So All I Want For Christmas Is You was a number one hit in Australia, I think last year, um, 2020. Yeah, 20, yeah like 20, <laughs> almost close to 30 years after it came out. And I have a feeling that every year... From now until uh, a mm. meteor crashes into <laughs> Earth, 
or something, I reckon that song will be number one every year forever because Isn't December comes along, people will stream it, it'll get enough streams to, to go to number one. So yeah. crazy. Like and people look at someone like Mariah and go, Oh, she seems so she's so weirdly detached from reality, you know. Yeah. She just I mean like, well maybe because she was just the minute she started doing her Anything. thing, people just went, holy fucking shit, you are unbelievably talented. Yeah, exactly. Quick, come away from your normal existence. Yep. You don't live there anymore now. You come with us. Come with us. We're taking you away. That's from tw- the age of, what, 18 till now. That's oh, exactly. the existence she's lived. Well, it's been 30 you know? years, 30 plus years mm. of that. So look, um, It's fucking bananas. Like, even... Like sportsmen are like that sometimes, like but even then they don't last for thirty years. It doesn't keep going for that long. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So look, I think what we're saying is that um, any budding artists out there, you should try and write a good Christmas song because at the moment Mariah Carey's nineteen ninety one song "All I Want for Christmas Is You" is the most current Christmas song that people (laughs) like. So and that's thirty years ago. We would say that with fucking. with uh, George Michael, every Christmas he gets oh, a bump from exactly, fucking, exactly. Um, you know. For sure. So we're talking Christmas about songs, so, you know, no one's written a good Christmas song for, for 30, 35 years. No. So if you're out well, there... Well, I mean, I, I'm not sure I would say any of these are good Christmas songs. Well... Christmas song that gets replayed all, more than once. <laughs> I think what by good Christmas song I mean that I need to put together a Christmas playlist yeah. for Christmas Day for my family Christmas event and I want songs that don't make me want to throw myself into a volcano yes. so, and I think that's one of them but um, Ross has I, got a really good I actually, I actually put together the worst Christmas playlist of all time <laughs> about two years ago it is so fucking bad um, I should share it with you I've got to find it it's like it's about 15 songs of just some of the mo- it's all there's a lot of Euro dance covers of classic Christmas songs and they're fucked but um, yeah, get Ross to send you his Christmas playlist as well okay. he's got a really good one alright I'll, I'll do that this one I can never remember it it's a rap battle between Jesus and Santa. Yeah. And uh, Jesus is Snoop Dogg. Yeah. I can't remember who Santa is, but it's this sort of throwdown. It's great. It's oh, tremendous. It sounds way better than anything I've got. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, speaking of way better than anything I've got, um, or did I say way worse? Um, <laughs> the next song, 14th of October for one week, Entrance, Staying Ooh, Alive. Jesus Christ. Now, holy fuck, we've talked about... Eurodance mm. on this podcast today. We go back, we got to step back to the very first song um, where I talked about how, you know, a lot of great Eurobeat songs coming out and then we went into Here's Johnny, which is sort of like a, an, an actual Gabba proper song. This is the most watered down piece of shit. Yeah. This doesn't Eurodance. qualify for Eurodance. It's a terrible... You don't think so? Re- no. Okay. It's a terrible remix of an old It's It's song. a Bee Gees remix. Yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't even qualify. No, look, it sucks total piss, although the rapper on this track, um, Ricardo DeForce... <laughs> One He's of my favourite. It was fucking... That's the. That's probably one of the best rap names ever, isn't it? What's your name? Ricardo DeForce. <laughs> that's sick. Um, he was the rapper on all the KLF's big hits. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the Stadium House trilogy, 3M Eternal, Last Train to Transcendral, sure. Justified and Ancient. I think, I think he, he was on... Uh, yeah. yeah, but he rapped on... Not Justified and Ancient, I think, uh, but okay. at least two of those three. But yeah, um, so he rapped on those songs as well as the other entrance human rights violation, Do You Think I'm Sexy? Mm. So Ricardo DeForce, 
I'm going to give him thumbs up for KLF, who are some of my favourite of the of that yeah, era, and then right two here. thumbs down yeah. for his entrance involvement because this is fucking dog shit. In the subsequent decade, entrance had 14 mentions on the UK charts. Yep. Uh, at first, I thought that was a misprint, and instead of UK charts, I'd read Sex Offenders Registry, but then I saw <laughs> a Telltale surname being. Yep. Yes, that's right. These two fucking knobs were signed straight after college to Pete fucking Waterman's PWL oh, label, Jesus. home of cock aching watering can. If there's ever a musical Hague, those pricks will be in the dock between Andrew Lloyd Webber and Christa Berg. I fucking. Oh, man. Yep. They're like the red string of the conspiracy of these fucking podcasts of shit music. It all leads back to stock aching Waterman. Oh, it sucks. I mean, di- I mean, I said that I have an affinity for for sort of B and C tier Eurodance. Oh yeah, this no, is no like, that's this what is, I mean. This, this is, is like F tier. I wouldn't insult Eurodance no. by associating that with this. Like, yep. yeah. Oh yeah, it's pretty bad. Look, um, I don't know. The Italian dance group Eiffel 65, mm-hmm. who, you know, I love from Blue, Blue. Double D, Double <laughs> Double, and I think we might get to talk about them in a few weeks. Time. <laughs> but um, they they use the chorus from this in their song, um, I Want to Dance All Night, apparently. So they, mm. so Eiffel 65 sampled this bullshit. So that's, you know, another thumb down mm. for those guys. Yeah. But um, So the original was one of the five songs the Bee Gees wrote for Saturday Night Fever. Um, I assume the other four were also total garbage. I don't know. I will stand up for the Bee Gees, even though they are dorky as hell. Yep. I will not stand up for Entrance unless I saw them in the street and it was so I could more effectively throw dog shit at them. Yeah. Now, that's <laughs> fair enough. I mean, this is this is awful. Did you know um, Saturday Night Fever, getting back to the Bee Gees, mm-hmm. that um, this was the best sounding selling soundtrack sorry, of all time until it was outside by the bodyguard. Yeah, it's. I think it's one of those ones where it's a movie soundtrack, one of the rare ones where the movie soundtrack is probably better remembered yep. by more people than the actual film. The actual film is actually quite a depressing... We've already talked about this, a sort of depressing working-class yeah, yeah. thing that features occasional bright spots of dancing, but the soundtrack is this unforgettable... It's like the best thing disco managed to produce. Yeah, exactly. You know? But what I find yeah. surprising about the you know the fact that this was overtaken by the bodyguard was that yeah as you mentioned this is sort of like a very yeah the disco era people remember the disco because of this I think this is you know this mm. is sort of a legacy it's of the disco. first thing that pops into people's absolutely head, right? disco Saturday Night Fever John Travolta in flares and uh, the uh, bodyguard uh, do people still talk about the body I mean the body the had one song that Whitney Houston that song one song love you, yeah. But, yeah but yeah if you ask me to name another song off that soundtrack I would. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and look, you know, it wasn't too long. You know, 83, the Bee Gees recorded songs for the sequel, Saturday Night <laughs> Fever, um, called Staying Alive, um, directed by Sylvester Stallone. Um, what else has he directed? Probably a lot of those later uh, Rambo films. God so. almighty. He didn't direct Rocky, did he? No, he starred in Rocky. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't think directing was his so, skill. But yeah, so staying alive. But the, th- the thing is, I've though, never seen staying the, alive. The momentum of Saturday Night Fever was such that it was critically panned as being complete garb. But um, <laughs> it grossed $64 million on a budget of $8 million. Uh, okay, So yeah. it was a critical... Everyone just went, I love that first one, let's go watch this. And then, you know, everyone went, fuck From 
bad movie podcasts, I know that the sequel to Saturday Night Fever picks up from the ending of the previous one where he rather implausibly ends up being a professional dancer in a Broadway show. Oh, yeah. The Broadway, where people just run around in oiled up in loincloths and stuff. So it loses all of the sort of working class yes. stuff of the first one. And I know that the name of the production that they're all involved in is called Satan's Alley. Which okay. just sounds like, call me dirty minded, but just sounds like a euphemism for your poop shoot. <laughs> really does. It? Yeah, mean, it does absolutely. You know, it sounds like it sounds like something out of Showgirls. So I oh, I find myself sure. thinking, should I watch Staying Alive? Is it possible that it's an sort of undiscovered, you know, Showgirls level masterpiece? Absolutely. Look, I, I think so. Uh, yeah. I mean, I need to watch that again, to be honest. Um, is it the next Vibrations, Ben? That's what I. Well, yeah, I don't know. Tom and I watched Vibrations recently. One of the best films <laughs> ever made. So we'll talk. That's a separate podcast. <laughs> sure. That's when they talk about what. What is it? It's uh, it's it's Hollywood's attempt to make a film about what underground dance, like yeah. like a techno thing. But yeah. they're about eight years too late as well. Again. So. But DJ Cyberstorm is still my favourite DJ, so it's pretty good. Um, Look, interesting though, Tom, although this Entrance song does suck shit, what I would advise to people is that um, a team from the University of Illinois Medical School suggested that Staying Alive, the original one, not this bullshit, Mm -hmm. um, is the ideal song to listen to on an iPod Ah, while performing chest compression to someone who's just suffered a heart attack. Yeah, there was a British... TV awareness campaign that used it to... Yeah, so effectively, someone's had a heart attack, you've got to do something, throw on Staying Alive <laughs> on the Spotify and then yeah, you do the, the heartbeats at the same tempo as the song. So mm-hmm. look, that's good to know. Don't put on the entrance one because I think it'll be, it'll be, there'll be, if this is 180 BPM, so you'll, mm. so you will kill somebody. And I wouldn't be surprised if several people have died as a result of the uh, sort of entrance. Well, I nearly died just so. from listening to the, the radio edits uh, oh, it's, through my it's ears. Yeah, exactly. So um, are there any any lyrical highlights to this whatsoever? Well, like the movie it came from, yep. the lyrics seem like a frivolous affair, but the material itself is actually sort of a reasonably gritty yep. evocation of struggling to keep your head up in the crime-ridden urban environment of 70s New York. Yeah. claims that he's been kicked around since he was born. There's also a lyric I could never decipher, which is, you know, it's all right, it's okay, I'll live to see another day. We can try to understand the New York Times effect on man. Okay. Well, what does that mean? The New York Times effect on man. As in the newspaper. I assume so. Um, I don't know, and <laughs> I, I'm not even willing to take a stab I'm at that. I'm sure so. Don't know. Entrance so. don't know, probably. Not. All right, let's move um, on. 700,000 monthly listeners on Spotify for Entrance. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, they, they are, look, if you're listening to if you listen to Entrance, go listen to other Eurodance. There's way better mm. shit out there. So there's look, better capital letters. So that's one week. Um, and then, look, although we're only in October, Tom, 21st of October, this song takes up the rest of the year. Wow. So <laughs> it's a solid 13 weeks. Jesus. Um, I forgot or, how big this was. Coolio featuring LV Gangsters Paradise. Yeah, I mean, what's not to like? I forgot it. I forgot it featured LV. What uh, was the LV story? Oh, we'll, we'll get to the LV story. <laughs> I think Tom, but at the at the moment, I think you're right. When people say who sang Gangsters Paradise, everyone says Coolio. Mm-hmm. It's like 
featuring it yeah, on there. It's no, like, I what? totally Who? Who are you talking about? So, look, this is a, a, a reworking of the Stevie Wonder song from 1976, um, Pastime Paradise. So it wasn't Coolio's idea to use the Wonder song, but it was uh, LV. So that's where he comes into this. So LV, oh, okay. um, so which apparently stands for Large Variety. <laughs> okay. Not his real name. But he sort of heard that and said, that's a good sample to use, or mm-hmm. let's use that sample. So started working on it, um, and then he... I think he produced the track. LV basically produced the music. Okay. Sent it to Coolio as a demo, and then Coolio got to work and recorded the song for the 1995 film Dangerous uh, Mind. Another fucking movie song. That's See, the another third, film. fourth one from this year. Yeah. Exactly. F- That's another one. That's a Michelle Pfeiffer movie people kind of forgot about. Exactly. That was right. an, another one of those, or if you're younger anyway, it was another one of those films about a... A trouble, a teacher who comes to teach a bunch of trouble students in a you know low socioeconomic group, uh, which would probably be troubling nowadays, seeing as that she's a white attractive lady and they're all black. But at the time, we thought that was progressive. It's all good. So yeah, I think it was the third film with that plot to come out that year. <laughs> I think so. Exactly. So, um, yeah, for sure. So is it? Um, it wasn't quite Dead Poet Society, but it was definitely sort of a um, what a. a f- a, a, not a fish out of water, but sort of an un, the the unusual teacher. She came in, yeah, and she taught the kids. I think she taught them how to love again, Tom. Mm, so I it was think a real finding Forrester situation it was yeah. absolutely so. Um, so this song was on Dangerous Minds, and was the film enough of a success to project this into the hit that it was, or was it just a song that everyone just loved? Oh, I think it's the song. It's the other way around. It's like the Stay Alive thing. I think this is, people have remembered this song long after they've forgotten the fucking movie. Oh, absolutely. So apparently Stevie Wonder, he um, refused to approve the sample for Gangster's Paradise because um, there was some, some profanities oh okay so Coolio rewrote the lyrics and then Wonder went yep that's great and then it won the Grammy in 1995 for best rap solo performance well I normally in this instance I would say that Stevie Wonder is a precious little bitch but in this instance I'm saying that he's being generous because in the infamous hip hop tradition this is less of a sample than it is a cover version with oh, just different yeah. words. Like for, they basically yeah, sure. nicked about four fifths of the song. Like yeah. really, like as as the title "Pastime Paradise" suggests, it even just sort of the, it, like it rhythmically rhymes with hit. You know, with, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It should be Coolio. It should be Stevie Wonder featuring Coolio, not Coolio featuring LV. But you know. Well, I think I think that's sort of um, what they would do these days. If you had such a blanket rip-off of a sample, you would do that. And I think it's sort of interesting because people have... Um, so we've talked about this probably before, how Vanilla Ice copped a lot of shit for just taking that bass line yeah. from under pressure. It's not so much that. that... It wasn't that he took it. It's that he pretended that he didn't yeah, take yeah. it, that he went, no, no, exactly. no, we didn't pinch it. <laughs> but I think it's sort of like people sort of... I guess it's um, sort of... Paul, Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique era, where the yes. Dust Brothers were taking, like that's that album is you know predominantly sam- if not entirely yes. samples yeah. made, Public but they're taking heaps of different samples, samples too, yeah. and blending them together where you don't just listen to it and go, oh, that's from this, you know, it's sort yeah. of it's sort of. Uh, but this is more like the entire this is, yeah, song. It's just like, that. Yeah. It's like this is <laughs> we'll just take the instrumental version of the song and then I'm going to rap over it, you know. Mm. 
Which again, that still gets done. Kanye West did that plenty of times. Of course, of course. But yeah, I think sort of people have a bit more respect when people yeah do that take a lot of different samples whether it's that or you know you know dj shadow or the avalanches and take all these crazy samples and just go oh it's sort of it's a new thing whereas Mm. this is just you're right this is just effectively rapping over an old song yeah vanilla rice was rapping over an old song remember when fucking everyone was looking forward to the next Nicki minaj song and i you know being a old white person I hadn't heard of her that much and I was like oh this seems interesting what's like the hopefully the last song and I was like oh okay I wonder what this is going to be and then it had this kind of build up to the release and then it came out and I was like it's just so it mix a lot exactly they've kind of but well they've sort of you know it's just somebody's record scratched it up a bit and then there's asses. <laughs> yeah exactly a lot of <laughs> yeah, total bullshit. again this is not a collage of different things mixed together it's just a cover that you've yeah anyway Oh, yeah, exactly. It's fine. So, look, this was um, for 22 years, this song held the record for the longest running number one in Australia. Fuck. So, 13 weeks? Yep, uh, for 13 weeks. And then, um, effectively, it was finally beaten by Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, which spent 15 weeks uh, atop of the charts. But, yeah, apparently, but Shape of You, um, he. This interesting... Is Coolio too old to do a drive-by? I think he is, yeah, probably. But um, Shape of You, Ed Sheeran had to pay out some parts Mm. of royalties to various people that claim that he'd... TLC, actually. (laughs) He actually wrote... I think TLC, um, part of this song was a rip-off of one of their songs, Mm. so he had to pay them out some royalties. Are you in love with the Shape of Ed Sheeran, Ben? I'm... I am, but, uh, you know, yeah. it's it, it changed. Back in the day, so. people would sometimes look at prodigiously talented musicians like Robert Johnson or Jimmy Page and, like, suggest that their talent was a result of, you know, having sold their soul to the devil. Yep. Obviously, that's bullshit. But, mm. you know, on the other hand, if you were looking at a police lineup for a person who sold their soul to Satan in exchange for popularity, you'd go straight for someone like Ed Sheeran, wouldn't you? Yeah, like look, out of it, the lineup, a gimpy ranger with a neck beard who dresses like Pacey from Dawson's Creek, <laughs> yeah. and somehow gets away with playing hip hop on an acoustic guitar <laughs> on his own at the front of the stage, wearing his fucking DC skate shoes in front of a bunch of fourteen-year-old girls. Correct. But yeah. Look, what I'm saying is that Ben is Ed Sheeran is less in love with the shape of you than he is in touch with Lucifer's balls. Look, I'd suggest that's that's, 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 it's a correct take, Tom, because. He's not attractive. His song's terrible. Um, everything about it just sort of goes, why is this dude selling 20 million albums? I've got no it's idea. So, Look, it totally sucks. But look, Coolio, he doesn't have to worry about that because he fucking hammered this out of the park, 13 weeks of this. And also, he featured on a Eurodance <laughs> version in 2001. Um, and we all knew that Eurodance was still, still going strong. There. Yep. So, Gangster's Paradise 2, 2K11 versus... Uh, Kylie and Mash so I don't know but yeah so he did that so this is good and people might be saying what's Coolio been up to since Gangster's Paradise Mm -hmm. he does a lot of collaborations with some of the finest artists that we know Uh, WC and the Mad Circle Dazzy D The Chill uh, H-Bomb Raz Kaz 40 Thieves Peter Andre Shorty Outlaws Rappin' for Tay Leckie uh, ZSS and the glam. So he's still doing it with the very finest. Are in you music. still? T- oh, sorry. I 
got distracted. I thought you were reading out the lineup for day one of the next uh, gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> yes, no, uh, that including is Coolio. I uh, think he's headlining. I hope so. At yeah, midnight. I, in fact, I actually genuinely do think he's played at the gathering of Juggalos. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Tell you what, those insane clown posse—they know the finest artists uh, that are into them. You know, I'm a big WC in the Mad Circle. Um, guru as well. Oh, good, good, good. He did, he had a few hits after this on the radio. Not not none, nothing on that. No, no, no. Area. He had one about oh, fucking. God damn! I can remember the video. It was then going to the beach in a low rider that was bounced. It was much more cheerful. Yep. Than yeah. Yeah. Look, no, he did have other songs. I think it's just sort of he'll always be known for this. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Mm. Oh, look, lyrics. You know, I think a lot of people know lyrics. Coolio asked at one point, you know, it's about, yeah, it's a troubling story about growing up in the hood. Uh, at one point he says, I'm 23 now, will I live to see 24? Not only did he live to see 24, he lived to see 58. Uh, <laughs> keep releasing albums into the present, uh, appear in Celebrity Wife Swap, Fear Factor, Batman and Robin, Leprechaun in the Hood, and my personal favourite, Shriek If You Know What I Did Last Friday the 13th, Alongside Tom Arnold and Tiffany Amber Thiessen from Saved by the Bell. So, you know, fortunately he got out of the hood so he could appear in Leprechaun in the hood. Look, you know, I've he escaped I, that Leprechaun only to come face to face with him again. I actually forgot. I've seen Leprechaun in the hood <laughs> and I forgot that he was in Leprechaun in the hood, um, which is one of the, probably the best in the Leprechaun mm. series, I think, Tom. But yeah. Um, it's no shriek if you know what I did last nah, Friday. I can't imagine though, that would it? be. So Coolio has 8 million monthly listeners on Spotify, so, which is pretty it's good. Doing okay. So, um, which is all right, so good on him. Um, look, yeah, that's it. That's it for this that's year. Coolio took year. up the last, you know, two months of this. That's was, all right. It was a strange layout that year. There were a couple of few giant ones and then a lot of little, you know, one-week dots in between. Absolutely so. But let's not forget the songs didn't quite get there. Pure Massacre by Silverchair, oh, yeah. number Silver two. Chair, that was uh, Here Comes the Hot Stepper. Oh, yeah. Lyrical Gangster, turn it up. Total Eclipse <laughs> of the Heart by Nicky French. Everyone loves the Eurobeats <laughs> cover of Total Eclipse of the It really was the year of Eurobeat, wasn't um, it? Fuck Scream me. by Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson, which was a song I think released purely so Michael could try and prove that he wasn't the same person <laughs> as Janet Jackson. Yes. But I think that some creative editing probably, mm-hmm. should, you know, that could have gone with that. Um, Alice, who the fuck is Alice? <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, which is, of course, a cover of. Well, well, Alice. Yep, by, exactly. Oh, what are, what's their fucking name? Smokey. Yep. Alice. Mm. Alice. Who the fuck is Alice I Terrible? Pref- I prefer Living Next Door to Alan by Rodney. <laughs> Absolutely. Myself. Where um, the wi- Wild Roses Grow by Nick Cave and the Bad Season Kylie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Stay Another Day, E17, Strong Enough by Cheryl Crow. But um, a lot of other big hits that didn't. You know, reached the top 10, but didn't go much further. So, Waterfall, TLC. Oh, yeah. Don't go chasing waterfalls, Tom. Stick to the rivers and the lakes <laughs> that you're used to. Um, Short Dick Man oh, by 20 Fingers. I love that one. <laughs> Song about a dude with a, with a small dick. I love it. It's good. Um... Under the Water by Meryl Bainbridge. That's a follow-up song, I think. Oh, so... Uh, Don't Stop Wiggle Wiggle by the Out There Brothers, <laughs> one of my personal favourites. Do. Don't stop moving, baby, wiggle, wiggle. Um, <laughs> that still gets played occasionally. Oh, it's, yeah. It's too I'll catchy. Um, self-esteem by The Offspring. Oh, uh, yeah. So we've got, got some pom- a few... When uh, I Came Around by Green Day. Absolutely. played occasionally. For sure. Um, absolutely. You Are Not Alone by Michael Jackson, which is 
fucking terrible. Um, Cotton Eye Joe. Cotton Eye Joe. By the Rednecks, which is one of my (laughs) favourite songs of the era. But also, Tom, um, a few of my favourites that didn't, that made the top 40 but didn't make the the sort of top 10 um, in Eurobeat territory. DJ Bobo, Let the Dream Come True, one of my favourites. Tokyo Ghetto Pussy, Everybody Uh, on the Floor. How could I forget that name? Um, JX, You Belong to Me. Oh, yep. Um, there was also Excalibur. Can you remember that? The song that used um, uh, yeah. du, 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 uh, O yeah. Fortuna? Du, 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 yeah, it was like a techno remix. It had like break beats yeah. and like that. Yeah. Yeah, so that was popular this year. Um, Corona, Try Me Out. Do you reckon Corona has a hard time getting a gig these days? <laughs> remember, hey, I'm Corona. Remember that Eurobeat song, Try Me Out? It's just like, no, bro, we don't, no one wants to remember anything. No one wants You're, anything to Sorry, do that, we so. don't take Eurodance below um, E-tier in this Yep Alex Party Wrap me up <laughs> um, Tom Are you a party DJ? Is your first name Alex? What do you reckon Your DJ name should be? <laughs> I don't know Alex Party <laughs> Run with that And of course Scatman John mm. Featured this year So that's alright um, But my favourite Non-Eurobeat song Of the year Tom is definitely The Vaughns Who Farted Oh <laughs> Uh, probably well, the less no said about that, the better. So. <laughs> I don't want to dig up my musical past. <laughs> what can Absolutely. I say? It was a question that was on people's lips a lot those days. For sure. Along with Who the Fuck is Alice. The fact that either of those songs got onto the charts in Australia does not say good things about Australia, but hey, uh, at least we didn't have 14 entrance songs on our charts. No, exactly. Um, so that's 1995. Thanks for mm. listening. And uh, we'll see you next week with 1996, uh, the year of the Atlanta Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. See you later. See ya.